Hello and welcome to Deep Thoughts Shallow Plots. My name is Erica and I like to watch horror movies. My name is Katie and I like to overanalyze things. Katie, what are we overanalyzing today? Today, we are going to be taking a deep dive into 1942's Cat People. Very exciting. Yes. Yes. One of several Val Luton produced low budget horror films. For for RKO. Yes. Produced by Val Luton. He also wrote the short story it's based off of in 1930. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like from what I saw, the script was sort of a combination of him and some other people and the credited writer, mm-hmm. DeWitt Bodine. Okay. Yeah. And then the director is some French guy. Jacques. Uh, Jacques Teneur is how I'm going to do my personal best. Honestly, I think we are in for some creative pronunciations. So, like, let's let's just get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, do we just want to, like, immediately decide how we're going to pronounce... Irena. 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 So, our main character, I think, honestly, when I saw her name for the first time, I thought... Irina. Right, yeah. Because I, I saw Irene, but with an A at the end. So yeah. It's like, Irina. Yeah. And, and that then, is a name I've heard before. And then Oliver... <laughs> pronounces it a few ways. <laughs> pronounces it a few different ways. And you actually did look up how the... The, the modern day Serbians on, you know, Reddit and other social medias explaining okay. how they pronounce their names. Right. We're like, E... Ren, uh, with a hard R, R. whatever R. that means. E... <laughs> Rena. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're going to do our personal best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unlike but, Oliver. Unlike Oliver. Oh, good. Well, honestly, uh, we're not going to start with Irena. We're going to start with Oliver today. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of a thing we usually do with the, what, this is the seventh episode mm-hmm. of our podcast, um, where we kind of start by talking about the characters, you know? Yeah. And that's really nice because I, I find this movie to be so character driven yes which is nice because we've done some movies where it hasn't been particularly <laughs> Characters, character driven i'm thinking evil dead yeah specifically um very plot driven in yeah. that, that movie yeah and there's nothing i don't think there's Whereas, like anything wrong yeah. with that but but the plot for this one basically boils down to newlyweds have a hard time consummating their marriage yeah. because the wife thinks that she's an evil werecat and you know what she's right and she's right yep <laughs> This is why we need to trust women. <laughs> uh, Oliver. Oliver. So, Ollie. So let's let's just jump into it. Initial thoughts about Oliver. Um, my main feeling towards him is that continuing to c- insist that like her story from her homeland, Irena's, is, yeah, is just like some dumb fairy tale that she needs to get over. Yeah, it's just like a rude yeah. and also just like not helpful to the situation. Right. Yes. It's just like yes. And I think, and you know, I think this is exactly where I want to go when we talk more about Dr. Judd oh, and God. psychoanalysis. It's like, um, this is not helpful, though. Yes. Like, we can talk about how, like, oh, well, it's happening in your mind or, like, something is impacting your soul. But, like, we're not actually fixing it. And I think Oliver is definitely um, in on that as well. Yeah. My thing with Oliver, too, is that I feel like he's really, uh, like a representation, a good figure for, like, the West and, like, the West's understanding of itself versus, like, the more, you know, mystical East with all of its, like, folk tales and what. He's very, like... He refers to himself as Americano. Yes. 
what's more normal than marrying me? Yes. Because <laughs> I am Americano. Yes. And uh, twice in the film, he orders apple pie. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, we get <laughs> okay, it. Okay, you're American. We get it, Oliver, oh. yes. Um, he seems to have a, a sort of, like well-respected job that is very much like white collar like mm-hmm. he doesn't really work with his hands like yeah what, he like, works with his mind what would you say he does like he's kind of he's like a, a draft person yeah he's like a engineer for it yeah. looked like submarines or boats boats, boats i think like yeah. military vessels yeah and honestly this movie comes out in 1942 so like u.s involvement in world war ii hasn't quite ramped up yet so like i bet oliver in like a couple years after, like when this film takes place, is like making bank. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Him and him and Alice yeah. just got their own little draft person yeah. firm, yeah. doing all kinds of stuff for the for the U.S. Navy or something. Mm-hmm. So he's very successful, yeah. right? He makes it very clear that like life is easy for him. Mm-hmm. I don't really know to what extent he really tries to like develop a happy relationship with Irena. Yeah. Um, he says there's nothing he wants more than for her to be happy and then like does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, well, I want you to be happy, so like just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> I It's I like will it's it. hard, just yeah. do it. <laughs> um and so I think it's probably about halfway through the film when he's talking with his coworker and capital O capital W other woman <laughs> <Yes>. Alice. <laughs> Where he's just, he's having a hard time and he doesn't know how to have a hard time. He says, you know, it's a funny thing. I've never been unhappy before. Things have always gone swell for me. I had a grand time as a kid, lots of fun at school, here at the office with you and the Commodore and Doc. That's why I don't know what to do about all this. I've never been unhappy. (sighs) And it's like, okay. Okay, white boy. Good for you. Um, Yeah. So, and and that's one of the really interesting things, because I, I think Oliver definitely represents, like, the West, mm-hmm. right? And, and like, America. And in, in some ways, Irena represents kind of the East, you know, or, like, a, you know, an immigrant experience. And, you know, what I get out of Irena is that, like, she doesn't, like, Oliver doesn't know how to be unhappy, and Irena doesn't know how to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. She's, like, actually kind of afraid of being happy. Yes, that she's afraid something bad will happen, right? Mm -hmm. So neither of them are really set up for success in regards to a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, We know that, like, they can't, or rather that because of Irena's fear, Mm -hmm. that they never consummate their marriage. They don't even kiss. They don't even kiss, right? So, like, kind of regardless of, like, the sex aspect of their relationship... Like, neither of them really know how to feel their feelings. They're bad at it. They're they're both bad at it, and they're bad at it in opposite ways. Yeah. Which means, like, this this relationship is not set up for success. No. You know, it's really interesting because I see, you know, what, when, at the very beginning of the film, I think it's quite literally the opening scene. Irena is is, sketching in front of of the panther in the the zoo, zoo, and she litters, how dare she, well, she was trying to throw it out, but she's a girl, so she can't quite reach the garbage can with her throw. I think if she if she stuffed the sheet into more of a ball, yeah. like it would have her less surface wrong. area yeah. and catch less wind and maybe make it. Um, but he helps her out. And mm-hmm. it's just like, to me, it's pretty obvious that she says so herself. Like, she lives by herself. She doesn't have a lot of friends, yeah. you know. And it's just, like, obvious that, that she needs a friend. Yeah. Because she sees Oliver as somebody, she, like, she can get along with and, like, could be a friend. But 
Oliver just like has no interest in like a non-romantic, non-sexual relationship with a woman. So he's just like, I met you at the zoo. And then what a, what feels like, and this is actually something I really like about this film, which by the way, I loved this movie. Yeah, if we haven't yeah. said that yet. This is a great film. Yeah, we watched There's it. There's a reason it's a class. We watched it together and like we had to stop ourselves from talking about it. It's like, save it for the podcast. Save, <laughs> save it for when we're recording. Um, because like something that I really like about this movie is that like the their use of like time lapses are really like perplexing. Um, like you, you don't really know like how much time has passed between the scene because like the way it seems is like Oliver and Irena met met like one day yeah. and literally within a week if not a couple of days later yeah. he buys her a kitten yeah <laughs> and it's like what are you doing Oliver yeah. well, first of all don't nobody don't buy someone that's a responsibility yeah that, like you don't know if she's can handle yeah or, don't, like, don't do that wants? or wants yeah yeah he's like he's never taking into account what Irena wants and needs because probably because he's you know a, a charming mid-century white American yeah. man it's only ever mattered what he wants and needs. yeah and everything's worked out when he yeah. gets what he wants so like why yeah would it matter you know um so I don't really understand do, do you have any idea like how much time has passed between when they meet and when Oliver tries to give Irena a kitten I don't no, it is unclear. It and then feels even the, just quick. the time then till they're getting married. I feel like at some point they say something about like months or something. Right. So like- because Irena finds herself kind of like attracted to the panther cage at the zoo. And like we see her there several times throughout the film. Right. Yeah. And then there's like the zoo keeper guy who's in charge oh, of yeah, the big yeah, cats. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen you around because like he recognizes her because she's mm-hmm. around a lot. Right. And she was like, I've been married about a month now. Yeah. So, like, we know, okay, so about a month has passed yeah, between But it all that. is kind of unclear. Yeah. And very quick feeling. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, also, the film is, like, what, 75 minutes yes. long? Yes, keep it short. Keep I it know. going. That's I what I like in a movie. Val Luton, do it, Bodine, Jacques Turner, like, where are they? Like, <laughs> we need some, like, notes on how to keep a movie really good and engaging and and, and less than 90 minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is what i'm asking yes. for uh living in the era of marvel films oh. it's like oh gosh so oh, every movie is so long yeah no they're too long they're too long um so i just i was i have a question for you okay what do you think about oliver it, oliver's insistence on keeping that kitten in a box <laughs> For an entire day. Because he's got it. He goes about his day with yeah. this kitten in a box. And there's holes in the box yeah. so the cat can breathe. Yeah. But, like, the cat, because it's a cat, is like, I don't really want to be in this box. So yeah. I'm going to try and yeah. get out of it. And he's like, oh, you silly kitten. Like, plays with it for a little bit. And like, okay, back in the box. Yeah. He's like, you're going about your work day. You just expect this cat to just sit yeah. in a box? Like, I don't know. What do you think's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's definitely a metaphor to be made in there. A thousand percent, yeah. But also, I feel like our treatment of animals now is different than it was this in the past. True. I feel like the idea of keeping an animal in a smaller cage or box for a long period of time would not be weird. Right. I think that's a general, I think, a really good thing to be keeping in mind for everything about this movie. It's like, yeah. it was 1942. Yeah. And in some ways, 1942 was a really long time ago, and in some ways it really wasn't. Yeah. You know? So, like, 
I don't know. It's the forties. Like we we see that that scene in the pet shop where there's like monkeys. Yeah, you know, and you're like, who's buying a monkey mm-hmm. in New York City in 1942? Apparently, people are right. Yeah. Right? So yeah, you kind of got to keep. The, and also, yeah, yeah, like the pens that the animals at the zoo are kept in. Oh my gosh, those yeah, are way too small. Way too small and yeah. don't have anything in them. They're I just know. like little square boxes. And then you see the panther and the, what's the the other big cat right next to it? It's like a leopard. A or leopard something. or something, yeah. And like they're just pacing. Yeah, because they're bored as like, fuck oh. and they're stressed out. Yeah, and I was like, oh, these poor cats, you yeah. know. Um, which I wonder if we are meant to feel as a 1942 audience. Yeah, I don't know. Because I mean, it's the same thing as the cat in the box. Yeah. And it's the same thing as Irena. Sort of trying to go through life, constrained as she feels. Yeah. Trying to fit in a specific box. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be this, like, American wife that she's not. So, I guess, here's what I was thinking, because I I pretty much agree with you. He's like, is is he trying to contain and control the freedom of this kitten? Does this kitten represent Irena specifically or women more generally? Yeah, because I also do think it's interesting that Alice specifically really loves cats and gets along with cats very well. Mm-hmm. So, like, there is this connection to women and cats in general right. beyond Irena. And there's also the sense of Ollie only be able, being able to relate to women when they're sort of meeting him where he is rather than meeting them where they are. Right. He has an easy time with Alice because Alice is what he expects her to be <laughs> right and like and he had these expectations for Irena, yeah and she is not living up to them right despite her best efforts yeah i might say so ollie sucks um yeah and i do actually also want to touch on yeah. like ollie as like somebody from the west mm-hmm. and of the west is sort of approaching this fairy tale mm-hmm. i guess is what he sees it as that yeah. Irena tells him from this very western perspective because he hears about Okay, the story she has where her village was, you know, beset upon mm-hmm. by some people called the Mamelukes. And they brought the, all the people of the village away from Christianity and towards mm. devil worship. Yes. But it's okay because King John I of Serbia, mm-hmm. it's important, this is a King John of Serbia. Of Serbia. Mm-hmm. Comes in and takes care of the Mamelukes and gets them all back into being good Christians. But the wisest... And the wickedest. And the most wicked, yes. Avoid King John and go into the mountains. Yes. And these people are cat people. And they haunt the village. Yes. And if any woman falls in love and kisses the person that she loves, she's going to like turn into a cat and kill that person. She will become overwhelmed by her passions. Yes. Yes. So Ollie is looking at this with a very Western perspective. Mm-hmm. And being like, well, that's obviously not a true story. Yeah. So this must be some sort of, like, psychosis. He's like, we need to look, deal with this in an intelligent way, he says. Right, yes. Before he suggests going to a psychiatrist, who we are going to talk about. because, <laughs> But, like, yeah, he's very much not going towards, like, okay, well, how we solved this last time was King John and, like, a flaming sword. He's like, no, that's not what we do in America. Right. In America, we go to the worst psychiatrist you have ever heard of. <laughs> because it is the 40s. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But I find it really interesting because, like, after her first visit with the psychiatrist, that's when Irena starts wearing that black fur coat. That's when she actually starts to get 
closer Ooh. to looking like that being a cat yeah and yeah. looking like that serbian woman that she saw in the restaurant who called her moya sestra yes um now did you know fun little fact uh so that actress is uncredited oh moya sestra yeah her name's elizabeth russell she's the serbian woman in the restaurant oh, yeah. she's uncredited however that's not her voice that's uh simone oh. simone's voice which is uh the actress who plays so okay uh ollie represents the west yeah yeah and just though that that everything he does to try to when he is trying to help her everything he does in this very like west way is actually what ends up pushing her further onto this path of becoming Mm -hmm. what it has like the opposite effect of what he's going for because what he never actually does is just listen to what she's saying and like take her seriously like right from where she is like later he even says that she doesn't want help and like accuses her of lying when it's like nobody Irena has been extremely straightforward. Yeah. She has told you exactly what is going on with her. Yeah. And you've been like, well, that's bullshit. That's stupid. So obviously it's not that. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. And maybe he, it is. He also gets the advice to call Dr. Judd from Alice. Alice. And Irena is upset about that. Yeah. And like, I can see why, you know? Right. And like, and I think she communicates very clearly. She's like, I don't think Alice has a place in our business, you yeah. know? And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fair. No, you know? yeah. And the part that really kills me yeah. is the part where it's in like the diner or whatever. And Atlas, Ollie, and Dr. Judd, a medical professional, uh-huh. are all sitting together deciding Irena's fate. Discussing yes. her mental health without her, like yes. behind her back. I wrote in my notes while we were watching the film, oh no. Men are making decisions about women without the women's input. Yeah, no, and that was like the worst. Oh my god! And it's like, and then they're talking about either putting her in asylum or like having the marriage annulled yes. or figuring out a divorce. And it's yes. like, what? Yes, it's a. I also I wrote, women have so little power in the society that it's no wonder that Irena is living with like the fear of her quote unquote passions. Yeah. Being overrun and like overwhelmed by them because she could be committed for the rest of her life just because of what her doctor and husband say. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. No, and it's the fact that like Ollie. Fuck that. (laughs) Like the only thing that kind of really stops Ollie from like, I don't know, having her labeled as a crazy person is that like the law says you can't divorce a crazy person. An insane person. Yeah. yeah, And then, um. He says that. Which, hey, is that true? I don't know. I, <laughs> Maybe it was in 1942 yeah. in the state of New York. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, he also says that taking care of her is, quote unquote, the right thing to do. The Christian thing. But, like, does she want that? Like, have you asked her? Yeah. Have we... have, like... Also, this is after Alice has started to believe yes. about the castle. Alice does start to come around. But she doesn't yeah. say anything no. in this thing about, like, well, actually, Irena is right she is having this problem that yeah. we need to maybe approach in a different way yeah like maybe we could help her like it's not delusional but like i'm wondering if she's not saying anything because it's like she's literally listening to you these two men talk about yeah. how they're gonna lock her up in an asylum yeah. for having these delusions yeah so like what are you gonna do as alice be like oh yeah i have those delusions too yeah i <laughs> like, actually believe her yeah like yeah no <laughs> no <laughs> no God, that part is so hard. Um, Yeah, that's rough. Uh, Yeah, and it's, again, like, that's a perfect example of the, like, watching this movie from 1942 in 2023. Yeah. It's just like, ooh, no, we don't don't do it like that anymore, you guys. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, Ollie in general, when he starts getting out of that thing of, like, you know, we got to get a divorce. 
and he's like, you know, it's better this way. Oh, I think he says something like, I'll give you a divorce. Yeah. Like, he's doing her a favor. Yeah, he's yeah. like, it's better this way. I'll give you a divorce. And she's yeah. like, better for whom, bitch? Right, yeah. Like, what? And I'm just, Because, no, because at that at point, we already know that, like, he, Alice has professed her love for yeah. Oliver. And, like, they know that, like, we, we as the audience understand that, like, that's something else that's happening. Yeah. So it's like, it's not a divorce it's not for her. No. Not really. It's not in any way Nothing for her. Nothing is. Yeah. It's just that Ollie was done with her the moment yeah. that she started being difficult. Yeah. And starting having Wouldn't her own ideas about what their relationship together. Like, like I'm sorry, but if my girl just couldn't deal with kissing me, I'd be like, okay, let's talk about this. Yeah, let's. Let let's, me not try to change you or discredit yeah. your very true fears. Like, let's figure this out together. Let's and not like, try to make you sound feel like you're evil because I don't think you're evil. Yeah. And it's. You have a boundary yeah. and I'm respecting that. And we're going to like, we can work through it together and it can take as long as it needs to yeah. take. And yeah. if it turns out that this is irreconcilable, see, we're going to reach that decision together as well. But see, also, here's the thing is that again, 1942, like people are just getting married, right? Like. Like, I, I don't yeah. actually think, because, like, you know, the movie makes it seem like, whoa, they did not know each other very long before yeah. they got married. And, like, maybe they didn't. Like, people, that wasn't always the case. Like, people yeah. got married really fast, yeah. you know? Especially with, like, the expectation of, like, not having sex until you're married. Yeah, which... And mm-hmm. people have sexual desires in yeah. and out of wedlock. So, yeah. like, they'd be like, okay, let's get married so we can have sex, you know? And it's very possible that he thought that her fears about kissing him would be over once they got married. Right, that maybe that was part of it. It's just like, oh, we're not. Yeah, uh, I do think living another, in sin is that we might say as another like symbol of the West. Yeah. Something else that I find interesting about Ollie is that he doesn't actually seem that like religious. No, he, that doesn't no. come across in any particular yeah. way, except uh-huh. for when the Panther attacks Ollie and Alice. Square. He holds up a T square yeah. like a wooden cross. Yeah, it looks like a cross. Like, which is such and- a good moment for him being like finally turning to. Like, okay, Western logic isn't working against yeah. this, like, Eastern folklore stuff. Yeah. But what about Western religion? What about that King John the First shit? Yes. Yeah. Like, and he's finally meeting her on that level, and which is interesting. What, to me, makes that particular scene so powerful and, like, what makes all of these, like, this movie so powerful in its imagery is because it is in black and white. And just, like, the work that the lighting does oh, yeah. and the, the shadow casting. Because, yeah. like, uh, you know, this is also considered a, a, a well-understood movie to kind of be, like, pre-noir. Yeah. Like, there's very... Yeah, there's a lot of film noir stuff. Film noir stuff really... going on, including darkness and shadow. And a lot of the lighting happening from, like, the floor mm-hmm. and going up rather than yeah then at the top and coming down like we we would be more used to you know so it's a little bit disorienting and like really it's the shadow of the t-square that really brings yeah. the cross imagery there and it's, it's like so okay good. It's okay so yeah. Good. yeah what about a good old-fashioned cross what about what yeah. about christianity yeah. yeah but it's interesting because uh Irena is christian or I, I we don't really we don't really we don't know. really know religion doesn't actually come up a lot in this no movie. which is interesting because it's incredibly important to the history of serbia which we'll get yeah. into we'll get and into. to the myth that she has because supposedly yeah. they're evil because they were you know pushed away from christianity yes and king john brought them back into the flock yeah my final note on ollie which okay. i just feel like is very ollie yeah is that okay so he finally sees the dead panther body of his wife <laughs> Like, just a dead panther with now, a sword through it. Wait, hold up, no. No, that's not Irena, though. Is that- There's the panther that he runs over. Yes. That's from the zoo. And then yes. there's the other panther that they find with the sword through it. Two separate panthers. Okay. She's the one who had a sword through her. 
now there's a dead panther with a sword through it. She did have a sword through her. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. From Dr. Judd, right? Yeah. Yeah. And all these But don't worry, Dr. Judd got his. Oh, Dr. Judd. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. But no, Ollie's response to that whole thing is just, oh, she never lied to us. Like, your wife is fucking dead and also a panther. And he's like, just like the most like, oh, she never lied to us. Yeah. Yeah. Motherfucker. It took you 70 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) To figure out. Um, it took her dying but, to figure out, like, yeah, she was right. You could have just listened to her the whole fucking so, time. <laughs> so I'm not trying to, like, make excuses for Oliver. Like, yeah. whatever. But I did find it really interesting. And I wonder, like, which character's idea it was. Like, when, well, because we don't see their wedding, but we see their, like, wedding dinner. Yeah, right? yeah, their little party And they there. go to a Serbian restaurant. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. Irena's idea. It was, it was Alice's idea. It was Alice's idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, cause Irena tells Alice, she's like, I didn't know there was a Serbian yeah. restaurant in town. I was like, you didn't know there was a Serbian restaurant in town? Like a Serbian immigrant with like no friends or. Well, cause she's want... trying to hide from her culture. She yeah, doesn't want she's... anything to do with Serbia. Yeah. I, cause I, she's afraid of the myth. I do also wonder something about Irena is like how much of her internal feelings of feeling evil and bad are informed by her being an immigrant. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, um, cat person or not cat person, yeah. like how much of it is just like you're from Serbia, uh, kind of in the middle of Europe fighting World War II, you yeah. know? So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I was like, wow, they all like agreed to go to a Serbian restaurant. Like, yeah. that's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Because like how else would, but then like how else would you incorporate the the woman Moya who sestra. quote unquote looks like a cat? And I had the question, how does one look like a cat? Because um, she didn't have like the cat eyeliner. No, she eye. had that little black bow in her hair she that did. made her look like she had little cat hair. Yeah, she had and like she the, was wearing a black the, fur. The buns that look like cat ears, yeah, maybe. She was wearing her black fur coat. Okay, okay. And all in black. Okay. And she just had a very feline esque face, obviously. Okay. I Apparently, the reason why they wanted to cast yeah. Simone Simon is that they didn't want somebody who looked too, like, adult feline sexy cat. They wanted somebody who looked like a cute little kitten. A kitten, yeah. They wanted it to be surprising that she was like, you know, the evil of the film. Because she's so cute and tiny. And look at her little cute. face. Yeah. Look at her little round face. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I also think about about that when when we think about like the movie's called Cat People, right? And she's concerned about like her uh, you know, her passions being aroused and turning into a, a big cat and maybe killing somebody right yeah, yeah but she also has like a lot of cat like house cat imagery in her home yeah and then the cat doesn't like her like the the cat the yeah. little look like a little siamese or something oh, I, don't I don't know the kind of cat that oliver uh gets for her again without her input yeah <laughs> um is like not into Irena, and she even says like yeah cats don't really like me you know yeah. and like and so they when she goes into the pet store like all of the animals react to her you know mm-hmm. and so like what are the kind of animals we see? We see uh, kittens, right? Yeah. Like smaller house cats, monkeys for whatever yeah. reason. Lots of birds. And birds, right? And so I'm just kind of thinking about those as like prey animals mm-hmm. for bigger cats, right? Yep. Like especially in like a jungle setting yep. where there might like there are big cats and monkeys. Like monkeys could be prey yeah, for a yeah. big cat maybe. Birds, absolutely. And like that's the weird thing about house cats I say with one sitting on my lap right this moment, (laughs) um, is that like they are such an interesting combination of predator and prey. Yeah. Uh, Especially like a tiny, like a kitten, right? Like it's super vulnerable and could Mm -hmm. be prey to like, you know, a a bird of prey. Yeah. uh, You know, a bigger cat. 
All sorts of things. All sorts of things, right? And so it's it's interesting that, like, you know, Irena is coming off as, like, a little kitten with her cute little round face and, you know, like, you know, yeah. and her nails making scratchy things, you know, <laughs> um, a couple of times. Just playing with that bird. Uh, yeah, until it dies of fright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting, like, how she embodies both, like, domesticated cat traits and, like, wild cat yeah. traits. Yeah. Should we move on to Dr. Judd, the worst man in the entire world? Yes, let's talk about Dr. Judd. So Dr. Louis or Louis Judd, he is our psychiatrist. Psychoanalyst, Psych- whatever we want to say. Psychoanalysis. Yeah. Um, who uh, apparently Alice knew. He's our, you know, uh, w- what does Oliver say? Like, let's deal with this in the... An intelligent in an way. In an intelligent way. So like, he's our intelligent... Gen- solution. Solution, yeah. And what are like some of the things he gets up to in this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so he's... Other than discussing institutionalizing Irena without yeah. without yeah. Irena being there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, like, my first, I guess, red flag for him... Red flag, yeah. Is, um, is he's the first person to find out that Irena has this history where um, her dad, like, died mysteriously <gasps> yes, in the forest. Yes. And her mother got the blame for that, and people in the village started calling her a witch uh-huh. and a cat woman. Uh-huh. So, like, that makes her fear really reasonable. Yeah. If it's coming from this place of, like, oh, my mom and my dad were in love. My dad died, and supposedly my mom was responsible for it. Yeah. And she took the blame for that, and nothing was ever the same after. And, like, and it seems like he's going to start being, like, okay, so a lot of these fears are rooted in, like, something from childhood. Let's get into that. Classic psychoanalysis, But then, like, he doesn't really, it never comes up again. He then just goes straight back to, like, Okay, so now these are just fairy tales and you shouldn't be afraid of them anymore. Okay, and done. And done. Yeah. And it's like, no, not done. Yeah. Yeah. I think a problem with Dr. Judd in treating Irena Mm -hmm. is that he does have this very, he has his way that he is going to solve this problem. And he doesn't really look at what she is bringing to the table herself. Mm -hmm. Like, she has this really great line when she's talking to him about how, like, she didn't want to go back and see him again because whenever he spoke of the soul, he meant the mind. Right. And And that those are, like, separate things things to her and then he like in her patronizes her and says like oh you're very clever understanding the difference between the mind and the soul i was like okay so then like help her then i know no okay okay i just think like another one of those instances of of like him being like okay here i am my like white western man guy who's americano and gonna be like this is all in the mind we're gonna solve it the intelligent way Mm -hmm. and she's like actually there's something deeper and darker happening here yeah that i would like to address and you are refusing to address it with me like there are actual really real emotions that we need to talk about and we can't just keep this all in the like intelligence sphere right it's not just the mind and also it is informed by something much larger socially and culturally yeah rather than than like in internally yeah there's much more external force that's happening yeah which i do think then it's i do find it interesting that alice is the first person to believe Irena's story mm-hmm. just in the sense of like women seeing each other yeah. in a way that men can't and like all of those ideas about like the feminine being sort of like the archetype of the feminine being closer to like the darker and the earthy and yes. the supernatural, the mystical. Yeah. And like Alice being able to see that and the psychiatrist whose job it is, is to like help her cannot see that. And it's just like, actually you're just both hysterical and have overactive imaginations and like laughs at the idea of like, Oh, I'll get my silver bullets. Ha 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 ha. Right. And then, but then he does reveal that he has a sword in yeah. his walking stick, yeah. cane, whatever. And, um, 
honestly, I think my favorite part is when Irena totally mauls Dr. Judd to death. Oh my god. It was so great. Oh my god, so, it's so good. Yeah, because I literally wrote, I have never been more happy than <laughs> when Irena turned into a panther and ate the psychiatrist. <laughs> so, what? but because what makes it all the more satisfying is because right before that, because Dr. Judd, first of all, kisses her, kisses Irena yeah. without her consent. Yeah. And tells Irena not to be afraid of him. Yeah. Because, like, he cannot fathom a reality in which she is the danger to him. Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. And then she totally mauls him to yes! death. Yes. <laughs> so good oh my god it just uh, yeah no the way he totally misunderstands her because yeah. he does that the first time he is sort of like teasing her about the myth and is like what would happen if i were to kiss you yeah and she's like i only know i should not like to be kissed by you and it's like okay then stop the conversation there yeah but like no Again, irena's, he doesn't uh, irena's really good at like communicating her yes. feelings and setting her boundaries yes, and nobody listens and yeah. instead he says that like she's enjoying their game they're like, this contest of wills we're having. And she's like, I'm not having a contest Poss- of wills. Possibly a game of cat and mouse. Yeah. <laughs> In where he's the cat, yeah. maybe? I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. And then it's like, okay. And also, I don't know. He's still the one who can lock her up in an insane asylum. Yeah. So, yeah. like, he still is absolutely somebody to be afraid of. Yeah. Especially when he's leering at her and being like, you interest me. And he, like... When she she makes the one appointment, she shows up. She wasn't super happy yeah. with how it went and chooses not to go back. And, you know, she's, again, consistently throughout the film being drawn to the panther cage yeah. in the zoo. And Dr. Judd comes and finds her there. Oh, God. Yeah. And I was like, don't you have other patients? You're a doctor. You've got to no. be busy. He's, like, obsessed with her in yeah. this really gross way. And I hate the thing that he says to her. I wrote it down because I hated it. Mm-hmm. Where I'm curious if this came up in like your psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. research, if this is a thing, Mm -hmm. because he said that he kind of expected her to keep the key because there is, in some cases, a psychic need to loose evil upon the world. And we all of us carry within us a desire for death. You fear the panther, yet you're drawn to him again and again. Couldn't you turn him, turn to him as an instrument of death? And it's like. Was she thinking any of that? She literally saw the key and like returned it. Like and then yeah, and then she returned it. Yeah. And then after he puts that idea yeah. in her head, when she sees the key again, she keeps it. Yeah. Yeah. Like we like, don't Dr. Judd, you are no, you're wrong. And you're yeah. making bad of like, yeah, that's why I say everything that they do in their like Western perspective or whatever. Yeah. Actually pushes her more to that sort of like Eastern folklore mythology right. like, cat people thing. Like yeah. that's what makes her really go into it. Yeah. Is everything like, they do to try to help her makes maybe it worse. I should free this panther. Yeah. Right? And also I think to me the panther, especially that panther in the cage in the in yeah. the Central Park Zoo, like is a symbol of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like just sexuality in general, not like queer sexuality, yeah, yeah. just like sexuality. Yeah. Um and like it is something that a lot of people kind of have a fear of mm-hmm. but come to it again and again because yeah. human beings have sexuality yeah right so like we might be fe- like fear it maybe because we're taught to or we have some like yeah purity culture stuff pe- yeah right some maybe some misunderstandings about sexuality yeah. in general um maybe we but have like some traumas we, related to yeah, it yeah exactly but like we find ourselves coming to it again and again because that's just like 
humans do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how uh, how else to say it. Yeah. You know? um, so to me, that panther, especially the panther yeah. in the cage in the Central Park Zoo, yeah. represents sexuality. Well, perhaps if you had spoken to Arena instead of Dr. Judd, things would have gone differently. Dude, Arena and I would be best friends. Yeah. I would love to. I think she's great. I would love to hear all about King John. Yeah. Like, tell me everything. You know? uh, yeah. Uh, let's go see the cats. Yeah. Yeah. You know? We're going to draw pictures of the panthers. I am there. Yeah. I will draw it. all the pictures of panthers. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just kind of sketching in that first scene. She's yeah. just sketching. She's a working girl. She has a draw. She does. Yeah. like a designer. Yeah. So, and then, like, you know, she kind of throws it away and, like, she doesn't let Oliver see it, but the audience gets to see it yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. And we see, like, a panther with, like, a knife yeah, or a sword, a sword through, through it. it. And it was, like, foreshadowing. Um, but, like, you know, it's like you were just sketching for, like, 30 seconds and that's what you made? Like, you go in. Right yeah. yeah. God, you're a bad bitch. She's got skills. Yeah. yeah. She's a working girl. She's busy. But what I want you to tell me about okay, yeah. is psychoanalysis. Okay. Psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, went through a really, really big phase for like kind of most of high school of being super into Sigmund Freud. Yeah. And you might remember. And um, yeah. so I like to consider myself pretty familiar with psychoanalysis. And I do consider myself a fan of Sigmund Freud. I totally understand that there are valid critiques <laughs> of Freud and psychoanalysis. And that's fine. Yes. <laughs> Just because a lot of the things he said are super, super duper wrong doesn't mean it's not interesting. Uh, yes. Or, yeah, exactly. So, okay. um, in the 1940s, therapy in general, specifically psychoanalytical therapy, is really, really popular. Um, I think it's mm -hmm. worth no noting that Sigmund Freud dies in 1939. Oh, okay. So Sigmund Freud is, has passed by this point. Yeah. Um, but his ideas are just catching like wildfire. Right. So psychoanalysis is a set of theories and therapeutic techniques. I got this right off of Wikipedia. <laughs> Dude, um, I'm going to throw out some Wikipedia. I later, love this. For so. us. Um, that deal in part with the unconscious mind, mm -hmm. uh, which together form a method of treatment for mental disorders. Yeah. So that's kind of the main thing. So Freud's main idea, because like, you know, he he doesn't come up with psychoanalysis in a vacuum. Right. There are other other people who um, are kind of helping him create mm -hmm. these ideas. But, you know, he gets a, a lot of the same time. Yeah. yeah. He gets a lot of the. Uh, Renown. There you go. Yeah. Freud distinguishes between the conscious and unconscious mind, arguing that the unconscious mind is what largely determines our behavior and our cognitions, like our thought process mm -hmm. processes, owing to those unconscious drives. Um, so Freud observed that attempts to bring such drives into awareness, right, like to move our drives that determine our behavior and our cognition from the unconscious to the conscious, right, mm -hmm. um, often triggers some resistance or, like, uh, defense mechanisms, mm -hmm. particularly repression, like memory repression. And I know that there's, like, it, at least it's my understanding that there's, like, quite a bit on either side of it. Y yeah. Yeah. I've mostly heard stuff on, like, it's not. It's not really a thing. So um, we have this uh, conflict between the conscious and the unconscious, right, uh, that can result in, you know, according to Freud and other early psychoanalysis, uh, mental disturbances, right? Yeah, so like okay. anxiety, depression, delusions, maybe, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Freud also postulates that unconscious material can be found in dreams, right, mm -hmm. and unintentional acts, right, including mannerisms and a good old-fashioned Freudian slip. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you said one thing, but you meant another, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, psychoanalytic therapy developed as a means to improve mental health by bringing unconscious material into consciousness, mm-hmm. you know. Psychoanalysis placed a large emphasis on early childhood in a person's individual development. Just like we saw. Like we see, yeah. So um, also, we do see Irena going through some psychoanalytical therapy in Mm -hmm. her first... Yeah, Her first appointment with Dr. Judd. And that's like pretty straightforward because she's lying down. Right. So that's 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 pretty, you know, textbook psychoanalysis is that the patient would lie down Mm -hmm. and the doctor would somehow be kind of like out of sight. So he's kind of over her, but he's shining a very bright light in Irena's face. So like she probably can't see him, you know. So say what you want about Freud and psychoanalysis. And there's a lot of stuff to say. Right. Yeah. But psychoanalysis especially in the 40s kind of is that first step towards our common like talk therapy practices mm-hmm. now like cognitive behavioral therapy and and, and psychotherapy yeah. right so it's kind of like uh, it's like psychoanalysis walked so cognitive behavioral therapy <laughs> could, ru- could run you know yeah. um so however <laughs> this isn't to say that there isn't a dark side to psychoanalysis yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously yeah especially in those really early days of developing this theory like through in the night in the mm-hmm. early 1900s quite through the 40s right which, yeah. when this movie is I mean, that's the thing is that Freud and his theories and other people making these theories were bringing a lot of their own biases from other realms into them. So you get a lot of like sexism, misogyny coming up in these early things. Yep. Um, And uh, yeah, a misunderstanding of sexuality. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, Misunderstanding of exactly how trauma impacts yeah. our brains. Yeah. Like quite lit- physically, you know. Yeah. Um, so psycho psychoanalysis is is especially in these early days is is not a practice informed by social and cultural pressures right yeah. the the focus is more on the internal the mm-hmm. self the conscious versus the unconscious the ego super ego id all that fun stuff right yeah but there's not a lot of room for understanding of the external forces yeah enter dr judd <laughs> <laughs> you know uh dr judd and oliver are telling irena and alice to a smaller extent or like telling irena like that's a very silly fairy tale you know like one day you'll have kids and they'll enjoy hearing that story from you but like it's not real right Mm -hmm. and it's like but you have to understand like to her it is yeah you know like you've she's grown up in this culture in this you know society supposedly these cat people haunted her village yeah where her mother was literally accused of being a cat person and a witch and her father died yeah, yeah. And like it is real yeah and like the way that like i don't know maybe like santa claus i was gonna say santa claus yeah too, actually yeah so like Santa. no santa claus isn't real but like for millions of children he very much is very much is and like even as an adult now, the idea of Santa is like, he might as well be real. Yeah. You know? He's, yeah. He's still doing stuff in our culture. Exactly. Whether he's real or not, he still has an impact on our culture. Exactly. So it's it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, so this is uh, w- what I would call uh, not trauma-informed. <laughs> no. I was just going to say, also, I think um, it is cool that Valun with his... Um, these horror films that he was going to do. Mm-hmm. He didn't want them to be sort of like schlocky monster stuff. What yeah. he really wanted them to be was psychological. Yeah. Really getting into these deep subconscious desires. And he really did draw a lot on psychoanalysis. Yeah. To sort of inform his films. And 
I want to talk about the anatomy of atavism. Oh, yeah. Because it's such a, a weird little quote. It's weird. So uh, at the very beginning, so even before the, the zoo scene, we yes. get the opening credits, Our of course, with backdrops first. of big jungle cats, right? Yeah. And we get a, a quote. So the quote is, even as fog continues to lie in the valleys, so does ancient sin cling to the low places, the depressions of the world consciousness. <laughs> and that quote is attributed to Dr. Lewis, Lewis Judd, Judd, the anatomy of atavism. Yes. Now, do you know what an atavism is? No. You want to give a guess? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know until I looked it up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like something like electrony, you know, like it sounds sciencey to me. I have no idea what it is. It is sciencey. It's biology. Biology. So an atavism is a modification of a biological structure whereby an ancient genetic trait reappears after having been lost through evolutionary change in previous generations. Oh. Yeah. So that's relevant. It's relevant. The yes. idea is that there were some cat people back in her lineage. Yes. And that then haven't maybe resurfaced, but now they are resurfacing. Through her. Through yes. her genetics. So. Through the lineage. That's cool. I'm going to read the quote one more time. Okay. Even as fog continues to lie in the valleys, so does ancient sin cling to the low places, the depressions in the world consciousness. So what does that mean? <laughs> what, what you going on about, I, Dr. Judd? I have two readings. Okay, cool. I'd love to hear them. Um, so one is actually not my original thought. I lifted it from uh, an author, M. Keith Booker. Okay. Um, although, like, I really, when I read what it said, I was like, yeah, I totally agree that this could be one way to read this quote. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll start with, with this one, and then I'll give you my own. Mm -hmm. uh, just original Erica Peterson right out of the gate. Yeah. Thought, <laughs> original. Thoughts, yeah. Um, so even though the epigraph, which I think is what this is called, the, like, yeah, the yeah, quote yeah. before, yeah, um, it isn't specifically mentioning Serbia. We, we do kind of see Serbia... Uh, at least the film's version of Serbia kind of seen as one of like the dark places. Yeah. Right. And the evocation of, of like the words ancient sin, mm -hmm. you know, and depressions in the world consciousness is like really overt, you know, yeah. and seems consistent with what happens throughout the film, yeah. you know? But yeah, uh, it's a lot of that sort of like Orientalist yes. language. Yes. Exoticizing the ease. Absolutely. Sort of like yep. The foreign. And and most importantly, like the legend of the cat people in Irena's village is consistent with a reputation of the Balkan regions, which is where Serbia yeah. is, um, as an area of darkness, as like where East meets West, yeah. where Orientalism and maybe non-Christianity yeah, might be yeah, happening, paganism right? Paganism yes. clashing with the Christianity. Um, it, it functions as a believable premise for, for Western audiences. Yeah. So I straight up took it that from them. It is, after M. all, Booker. where uh, vampires come from. Exactly, exactly, yes. Yeah. So uh, there's that, right? Yeah. But to me... Something else is like, I, we could also read it this way, which is probably not the way a character like Dr. Judd meant. Mm -hmm. But I kind of think it's like, you know, especially like depressions in the world consciousness, mm -hmm. like that makes me think of like everyone, not just an individual. Right. Yeah. So to me, it's like we all have a capacity for sin mm -hmm. and 
we always have like human beings it's yeah. like in our nature right and uh, we we have a capacity every single person has a capacity for sin we always have and, and probably always will yeah right whatever sin means yeah i mean so every person or the world you know no matter how well adjusted they might seem are still capable of having those quote-unquote depressions yeah in their consciousness kind of pulling us down to the unconscious right yeah. So, and then that I think goes really well with kind of your reading of the the last thing, Holy Sonnets Five yes. by John Donne. Do you want me to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. What can you just yeah. read it for I, us? Yeah, I have the whole sonnet. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna get my sonnet voice going. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to read the whole sonnet. No, I'm going. Okay, to. read the whole sonnet. I am a little world made cunningly of elements and an angelic sprite. But black sin hath betrayed to endless night my world's both parts, and oh, both parts must die. Mm. You which beyond that heaven which was most high have found new spheres, and of new lands can write, pour new seas in mine eyes, that so I might drown my world with my weeping earnestly, or wash it if it must be drowned no more. But oh, it must be burnt. Alas, the fire of lust and envy hath burnt it heretofore, and made it fouler. Let their flames retire and burn me, O Lord, with a fiery zeal of thee and thy house, which doth in eating heal. Okay, so that's the whole sonnet. Wow. So John Donne is coming after Shakespeare. He's taking a little bit from Shakespearean sonnets, Mm -hmm. but also drawing a lot on like Petrarch and the famous Italians sonnet writers. Mm -hmm. He's somebody who I know of as having written a lot of sexy hot sonnets in his youth. Sexual? Yeah. Ooh, Super okay. sexy. Okay. And then later in life, mm-hmm. um, became really religious and actually near the end of his life, like, wanted to, like, take orders, become some sort of monk or whatever. Mm, okay. I, don't, I don't know how religion works. Yeah. Something like that. And so he started to write a lot of holy sonnets, which um, he used to kind of, like, repent a lot of his youthful lust. Mm. And so this poem is another example of it. And it's an example of he's – so he's talking a lot about how um, – he had a lot of lust and envy in his, you know, mm-hmm. he has a lot of sin within him. Mm-hmm. But he's specifically talking about it in this way that I think ties with that really nicely about um, he is like two pieces of a person. He has, you know, the sort of angelic spirit mm-hmm. that, you know, the form that God made him. Mm-hmm. But he also has within himself this capacity for sin mm-hmm. and that the sin has this way of overtaking all of his angelic self and thus he needs to destroy both parts of him to get rid of all of that sin is sort of what he's getting at. He's actually going straight to like God and is like, I'm crying. I'm repenting. I'm so yeah. sad. Um, if you wanted to send a whole flood like you did for Noah to wipe away all the sin, I'd be so down with that. Yeah. Oh, but I just remembered with Noah after you, that, you said you were never going to do it. You promised you wouldn't. Yeah. But you said next time you wanted to get rid of sins, yes. you would burn the world. Right. So I'm ready for that. Because uh-huh. there's also this idea in this era of like lust being something that burns you. Right. Which actually kind of now is still a thing. Fiery passion. Right. And I also think about like fire as a cleanser. Yeah. 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 So he's like, I have this lust burning me. Uh-huh. But what I need is your holy fire burning me. Right. Yeah, and that's how I'll heal. That kind of reminds me of the Vavitch. Yeah. Where, like, there is, like, this kind of weird sexual thing around the family's relationship with God. Yeah. You know, 
sexuality being like associated with sin pretty much mm-hmm. as long as we've been thinking about something as sin right and yeah. like kind of getting those feelings mixed up with like your religious feelings and like you know your this adoration holy, and yeah. devotion to god but i also think it's interesting with the psychoanalysis stuff uh-huh. of these like two different parts yes this like kind of subconscious that's right. going to bring down your conscious and like cause problems that like sort of depression spot pulling in the sins right but you know what when we think about like two parts like mm-hmm. you know you know what that makes me think of what bisexuality <laughs> <laughs> because i would i would argue that humans are more than just two parts like well yeah, yeah humans yeah. contain multitudes like, i mean we are... well that's a whole other therapeutic practice yes this parts is work. <laughs> yes and so when i think about like two parts right I think like, oh, the part of you that's straight and the part of you that's not, <laughs> which I want to, when we get to the gay stuff, yeah, yeah. I want to oh, talk we'll about. get to yeah. the gay stuff. So that's just a nice little tee up for the gay stuff. But yeah, is there anything else we want to say about Dr. Judd and God, psychoanalysis? No. Can we just, yeah. <laughs> fuck that guy is all okay. else I want to say about him. Uh, yeah, I'm good on Dr. Judd. Should we move to Irena? Yeah, after all, we're talking <sighs> about sin and yeah. the darkness and Serbia. Yeah. Let's start talking about Irena. Irena is like a really interesting character. Mm -hmm. I like her a lot. And it's interesting, like one of the, you know, once she goes to or she invites Oliver over for tea, right? You know, and I love that part. I love that. Like it sort of starts with him kind of being like, what if I wrote you a letter and asked you to tea? And she's like, oh, then I have to reply. By the way, this is my house. You want to come in and have tea? Like she totally turns it on him and is like, come into my domain. I'm actually in charge of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to bring you into my lair. Yeah. And then he's, what does he say? He's like, oh, you make it so easy. Yeah. Miss Dubrovna, because like they just met each other. So they're still calling each other Miss and Mrs. Yes. Yeah. and she ta- they talk about how she lives really close to the zoo. Yeah. And like close enough to hear the panthers yeah, and the lions. Or to hear the lions. Yeah. And she's like, I don't mind the lions. But she does say something about not liking the sound of the panther. Oh, yeah. Because it it makes the sound of a woman or like a woman screaming. A wailing screaming. woman. Yeah, yeah. A screaming woman. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, all of this, the, the little subtle cat stuff around her. Is obviously just great. And also not subtle. But also the not subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. she's got paintings on the wall yeah. of cats and she's got her St. John or sorry, King John the first yeah, statue yeah, yeah. spearing it's a like cat. It's like clearly a preoccupation on her mind. Very much, yes. But then the smaller ways, like the work that her hand does in this yes. movie every time it becomes a claw. Yes. Either like reaching towards her desires that she can't have right. or like clawing at things she doesn't when she's unhappy. Yes. Like it's all so good. Yeah, it really is. And I just feel so deeply for this character. I yeah, like like talking about Oliver earlier and how like he doesn't know how to be unhappy. Yeah, like I think it's the opposite for Irena. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't know how to be happy. Uh, like everything about her identity is like stacked against her success. You know. Yeah. And like w- one of the other things I really like, one of the like lines that Irena says that I really like is like that once she's married to Oliver and like she she says she's like I I want nothing more than to be Mrs. Yeah. Reed right um and and everything that means mm-hmm. you know and so like so what does it mean for her to be Mrs. Reed yeah you know what does it mean for her to like stop feeling like an other mm-hmm. you know like what does it mean to change her name from Dubrovna <laughs> to read, to read. <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's also a good um companion mm-hmm. to the line that she has when he's talking to her about getting divorced mm-hmm. she sort of sinks down by the couch this is where 
the scene happens where she sort of her claws tear into the couch. She straight up tears up yeah, the couch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she says, I love silence. I love loneliness. Yes. When he's like breaking her heart. She also says she loves the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. That's earlier. Earlier. Yeah, yeah. What does she say? She like, it feels like a friend or yeah, something. Yeah. She calls yeah. it a friend. Wow. Yeah. But this one, she's like clearly upset and she's clearly like in this very sad way saying, I love silence and I love loneliness. Yeah. And it's just sort of like the safety that she has in like not being perceived in the safety in like not feeling the good emotions it, because that means you'll never feel enough to feel the bad emotions either. And her like safety in, in isolation. Yeah. Her safety not in unlike isolation. a big cat. Yeah. Anyway. And gay people. But we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. <laughs> and Jews for that matter. Yeah, honestly. I, yeah. I yeah. mean, all, yeah. All that immigrant experience. Yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it all ties in with her. I also just want to say that her perfume smells not like flowers, but something warm and living, which is just like hot. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how cool Irena is. I know. She's really <laughs> she's so cool. cool. And yeah, it's like, you know, it, it, it really seems like she needs some friends, yeah. you know, and like she and that's what she kind of wants Oliver to be. And then she kind of realizes that like that can't happen. Right. Cause so sexism. She's so. trying to make herself like, again, like the kitten in the box. Like yeah. she's has to fit in this tiny yeah, little box. box. She has to be Mrs. Reed. She wants to be Mrs. Reed, but she she's doesn't not. know how. <laughs> and I was like, but do you really want to be Mrs. Reed? Irena? Cause like this guy sucks. Um, <laughs> she expresses her like jealous feelings about other women. She like sees other women. She wishes she could be as free as them. You know? Yeah. I, I envy every woman I see on the street. They're happy. They make their husbands happy. Ooh. They lead normal, happy lives. Uh-huh. They're free. Just that longing she has. And, like, does she actually think that that's her key to freedom? Is, yeah. like, being a happy wife and making sure she has a happy husband? Right, like, yeah. is that what freedom is? Yeah, it's this idea that this, like, heterosexist state is going to, like, be what saves her. But it's also the thing that or is going to damn her. the box she needs to fit into. Yeah. And she wants to fit into the box. She doesn't want to be an other but she doesn't fit in the box and there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. if you don't fit in the box. Yeah. So there's also, it goes with that, that zookeeper line, mm-hmm. the line the zookeeper has where he says, no one comes to see the Panther when they're happy. Yeah. First of all, disagree. I know. Love a Panther. Yeah. Love every big cat at the zoo. Yeah. Right. Go to the zoo any day of my life. Happy or set. So how old do you think Irena is? Like mid twenties. Like mid twenties. I definitely think she's older than twenty, but I don't think she's any older than thirty. No. So it, this movie comes out in nineteen forty two. That's when it takes place, right? So that puts Irena's birth somewhere between nineteen twelve and nineteen twenty two, right? And she speaks with an accent, mm-hmm. right? So kind of leads me to believe that she's been she lived in Serbia for a while, like yeah. grew up there, pro- yeah. like had her adolescence there, and so she would be growing up specifically in the aftermath of the first world war mm. before immigrating alone possibly i mean we know that to her the US. dad is dead and right. her mom was accused of witchcraft so it's not looking great for mom either so before immigrating probably alone yeah. to the united states so the history of serbia is rife with a lot of conflict serbia is put under either influence or straight up direct control of a couple different empires for about 
500 years. <laughs> uh, the Ottoman Empire and and also the Austro-Hungarian Empire has like a lot of pull in, in Serbia. Yeah. Um, it's also worth noting, I'm sure you'll bring it up as well, um, that Sunni Islam is the official religion of the Ottoman Empire. Um, but of course, you know, uh, the Ottoman Empire at its, uh, exists for about 600 years. Yeah. And like it's, it's 600 years worth of history. Uh, you know, the people who are living under that empire are probably practicing every religion i forgot i wanted to ask you yeah if you saw anything and you're looking into the ottoman empire Mm -hmm. or if you know of any connections between sunni muslims Mm -hmm. or the ottoman empire with cats or any sort of cat mythology uh yeah so you know that a couple years ago i went to morocco and morocco is i don't think was ever part of the ottoman empire Mm -hmm. um but it's a muslim majority country right right? and there were cats freaking everywhere (laughs) um lions are a huge symbol of of morocco there used to be lions in the atlas mountains i think they're since extinct now Mm -hmm. um but there are cats everywhere and it was kind of my understanding that like they were very pro cat because cats are and this is true for like all of islam which includes the Islam practiced in the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. uh, of like cats being, you know, especially domesticated cats being a symbol of cleanliness. They're allowed to enter mosques, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're supposed to, uh, you know, oh, yeah, kind of like clean yourself, yourself absolution yeah. before yeah. you enter a mosque. So cats are allowed because the they're clean. Them. I know, I love that. Um, so the domestic cats do represent like cleanliness and like they are a symbol, you know. Um, a, a positive symbol in Islam, which I think does extend to the Ottoman Empire, right? Right. Um, and also, you know, like I would imagine that they would have sultans as their leaders. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. So, like, yeah, sultans would have big cats, mm-hmm. right? You know, I, I imagine as symbols of power. Yeah. You know, yeah. like a like a cheetah or a yeah. Leopard. I'm pretty sure they use them for like hunting. And then again, like it kind of goes back to like the difference between the symbolism of a domesticated cat yeah. and the symbolism of like a big cat. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, so cats are definitely there. Cool. Yeah. I was just curious. That is going to become relevant later. Continue telling me about Serbia. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. The Serbia. <laughs> that was an aside. That, that will was. come back later. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so Serbia is, and I got maps for you because I know you're Ooh. not a super geo person. I know. I'm real bad at geography. So uh, Serbia is is under, you know, either direct control or influence of the Ottoman Empire or the Austro-Hungarian Empire for, like, the better part of 500 years, almost yeah. 600. So when this movie is taking place in 1942, Serbia is actually under Axis control. Okay. World War II. I I was looking through like a timeline of like the country of Serbia and like, just trust me, it's a mess. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of those Eastern European countries are a mess because I mean, that's where World War One really blew up. Yeah. That's just. Yeah. Because it it was a a Serbian national who assassinated the uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the the, uh, heir to the Austria-Hungarian throne. Right. Um, So post-World War Two. Serbia becomes part of Yugoslavia, first called the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, and then later becomes the Socialist Republic of Yugoslavia, up until the 1990s when the USSR, the early 90s when the USSR kind of falls apart, so does the country that was called Yugoslavia. Um, And Serbia doesn't become a nation called Serbia again until 2006. Mm. So Serbia has a a rough, rough history. So I want to show you a map here so here is where yugoslavia was oh it's big for the listener yugoslavia included nations that we now call serbia that we call macedonia or north macedonia depending on who you are slovenia croatia bosnia herzegovina montenegro 
uh, all those places, yeah. right, which are just east of, of Italy, just across the Adriatic there. Yeah. And we, we do see that, that Serbia is real close to Romania, mm-hmm. where vampires are from, famously. <laughs> um, yeah, Serbia had its, has its own vampire mythology, too. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's super cool. And then uh, really close to what is now Turkey, which is kind of like the main stay of the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. right? So we, and to me, and I think it's maybe because I've just straight up been told this so many times, is like, the country of Turkey kind of acts as that gateway between the East and the West. Mm. So, yeah, that's Serbia, right? Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to know more about uh, the folklore. Yes. Do you and wanna, do you how they feel about, about cats. Yeah. I do want to talk about, okay, so I had to know if panthers existed in Serbia because it seemed unlikely. It seems unlikely. And what they have, they have, or at least nowadays, mm-hmm. they have Eurasian lynxes. Oh, I love and lynx. European wildcats, but no panthers. But I do kind of love the idea of Irena as like an immigrant, not bonding with a cat from her homeland, but instead bringing this connection with this cat who's also stuck in this zoo, also far away from its own home. Right. Like, yeah. honestly, I think that makes sense as a connection that she would make, even yeah. though it's not a cat from her homeland. Yeah. I kind of love that for her. So then my question is, okay, so there is actually in Serbian folklore... Not a lot about cats. Okay. But I did kind of look into general cat mythology stuff. I was curious about some of the, like, inspirations for the movie. And some that I saw brought up as possible inspirations. There were, like, a few short stories. I, I guess there was some, you know, higher-up guy who was like, we don't got enough going on with cats. There's, there's a real untapped market there with cats. Let's get some <laughs> cat people, you know? Because, I mean, the idea is that this movie started with, they were like, here's your title, Cat People. That's true. Just make a story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so they're like, okay, let's see what we can find yep. about cat people. So there's um, the short story by Ambrose Pierce called mm. The Eyes of the Panther. Ooh. And it's about a woman who spurns a man's proposal because she believes she's mad. And then she does indeed turn out to be a panther. Okay. So, uh, yeah, obvious connection there. Yeah. There's Ancient Sorceries by Algernon Blackwood, which is just about this small town that's overrun with, like, witches and werecats. Okay. And then uh, Monsieur Seeks a Wife is another one I saw okay. by Margaret Irwin, which is the only one that I actually had on hand to read. Hmm. And I quite liked it. I, I like her narrative voice. It's pretty good. Um, but it's, like, this guy who's deciding between these three different sisters choosing one to get married because his, his their families are going to, like, combine. Right. Combining houses, birth, as is done. Birth order. You yeah. know, and so he's like, you know, the noble thing would be to marry the older sister, and that's kind of what he's going and thinking about. Because the, the older one's got to get married first. Yeah, yeah, and the other two sisters are going to end up in a nunnery. But, like, he gets okay. there, and the vibes are weird, and he does think the oldest sister is the most sensible, but everybody in this, like, whole village and the whole family has these weird vibes of being, like, afraid. And there's this white cat, and then there's the youngest sister, who's creepy as fuck, and he gets, like, kind of hypnotized by her eyes and her singing, and she has, like, these cat eyes. And, like, in the night, he gets stalked by her cat familiar, or at least he thinks he does, and he, like, stabs out it with with his sword. Uh But then when he finds it the next morning, it hasn't been hurt. But then when he goes to talk to her, she has a little scratch on her. (gasps) And so, like, basically it turns out that, like, she's not exactly a were cat mm-hmm. she's like a witch who has this cat as her familiar and has certain feline qualities to her mm-hmm. so like these are all sort of what do what Bodine and the other writers were drawing on right. for these stories but i also just kind of was curious about panther mythology in general yeah and i yeah i didn't find a lot in serbia like there's a lot about like wolves wolves are a big animal yeah 
But like cats, mm, though panther in particular is an interesting one because um, going to Greek mythology, the panther is like a totemic symbol of Dionysus. You're familiar with Dionysus. He's a god. He of, likes to party. Yeah, he likes to party, dude. Yeah. yeah. He's a god of like, you know, the wild. Bacchus. And, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the, the, the Roman. Roman equivalent. version. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. the god of wine. wine. Yeah. His followers. He has his, you know, women followers who get naked and have wild parties in the woods and they go tear men apart with their bare hands. You know. Sounds like witches to me. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And also the panther as one of its symbol because pan meaning pantheon, uh-huh. all, all pan. Yeah. Panther comes from like all beast. Oh. And so it was this kind of general term for like the bestial, the wild, the untamable. Oh. And like with Dionysus being this figure who's like all about unleashing desires right, and being yeah. untamable. Yeah. Like Panther is interesting. And it goes into like medieval Europe where they use Panther honestly to kind of talk about a lot of different beasts, some uh-huh. of them mystical. Like you see these drawings of Panthers and they have like horns or yes, wings or yes, something. Yes, and it's yes. like, oh, what's happening here? Yeah. Um, though also you have a panther coming up as a symbol of Christ, which I did not know. Oh. There are like medieval drawings of panthers with like rainbow fur. Because, you know, rainbows are also symbols of like Christ. Uh, it's and, like, a, it's a symbol of the covenant yeah, between yeah, God yeah. and man. Yeah. So it's like an interesting contrast to what the um, the actual zookeeper says in this movie. Where he says he's liking it to the beast in Revelation. Yes. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Like unto a leopard. And his feet yes. were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon <sighs> gave him his power and a seat and his great authority. And the dragon being Satan. Yeah. Do you, do you also just like kind of wish we got to know more about the zookeeper? I know. What's his story? <laughs> what's his story? He's Why like, is he always forgetting his keys? He's That's just leaving keys in cages and he's talking about the animals he's... He's, yeah, talking about how Panthers he's caretaking are evil. or evil. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. Just spouting revelations. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. There are actually a lot of, because this movie takes place in America. Sure does. I was like, New if York. I can't find yeah. Serbian stuff, what about American stuff? Mm-hmm. And um, there actually are, cats play a large role in a lot of Native American mythologies. Yes, yeah. Usually as like protectors, hunters, yeah. and like healers. Yeah. I guess I saw some like Western myths where they were more like, Bad omens. Yeah, like a big cat. Fuck you up, man. Yeah. 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 And in this case, we're talking more like pumas and things like that, you know, rather than specifically a panther, but Mm -hmm. it's all the same. Yeah. Symbologically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did find one, their myths sort of in Appalachia area. Appalachia. Appalachia. It's okay. It doesn't. God damn, I can't pronounce words. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) So here's the thing. I'm not from there, but like, it is my understanding that someone from there says Appalachia would and would be upset I'm sorry Appalachians so I the way I've always heard it is like if you say it how did you say it Appalachia Appalachia they'll throw an Appalachia (laughs) so Appalachia you remember it's Appalachia Appalachia I'll remember anyway anyway Anyway, yeah sorry they have the they have the wampus cat as in like (laughs) kitty wampus catty wampus catty wampus what does that mean well, it comes from okay. Wampus Cat. So <laughs> I when know. something's cattywampus, it's like off. It's Yeah, it's, well, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, well, the thing is that there are tons of different versions of Wampus Cats. So, like, sometimes they're, like, big panthery things with glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's, like, Cherokee legends where it's, like, this woman who was cursed because she was, like, spying on the menfolk. So, like, they, like, cursed her and she became one with her cougar pelt that she was hiding under. There's also a woman whose husband was, like, killed by a demon. Uh-huh. So she puts on, like, the special cat mask and, like, sneaks up on the demon and kills it. And nice. becomes, like, a protector of the area. Nice. 
And then meanwhile, we have the European settlers moving in yeah. and start telling stories about when they start suffering hardships because they don't know how to survive in this area. Yeah. They start blaming local witches. Yes. And supposedly catch women turning into cats. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we have a lot of cattywampus. Well, <laughs> and, and cats have always been, like, one of the go-to familiars for witches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing I was interested in is, like, why cats and the feminine? Yeah. Oh, God. You know? Yeah, seriously. And so the first thing I was looking at was kind of, like, around the time period of this movie. Mm-hmm. A little bit earlier. Um, like, in the 1880s. This actually goes back to what you were saying about the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. or, like, Muslim beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, Victorian era, that sort of stuff. Um, there was this belief that women are drawn to cats because of their cleanliness and thus their, like, domestic caretaking tendencies. Very that they much. become, like, the right companion for a homemaker. Yes. And I, I also noticed, because I was looking into this a little bit, too, I think not to the depth that you did, but, like, I also noticed that, like... Uh, over and over again, kept referring to, like, again, the symbolism of, of the domestic cat, not yeah. a big cat, as, like, clean yeah, and submissive. And I'm like, have you ever met a cat? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I saw stuff about okay. them being untamable. Yeah. No, there was actually, okay, so in, like, 1909, there was a woman, Dorothy bevel champion okay who was talking about cats and she wrote cats are very sensitive in disposition and can easily be frightened by harsh treatment okay yes. and that after the many cases i've seen of cat intelligence i can only say if a cat is stupid it is want of education and she was specifically drawing a link from like views of women yes. at the time yes. and cats because this was during like early suffrage movement yes. stuff yep. mm-hmm. and yep. so this idea that like yeah women are can be easily afraid they can be sensitive like these are ideas about women that they can be stupid but it's actually just because they're lacking education it's because they're not having the same source you yeah. know the same resources yep. that men are yeah that like there are these actual sort of satirical connections being drawn between uh-huh. women and cats were really interesting yeah. but of course the connection between cats and women are much older yeah i'm thinking ancient egypt yeah Yeah. bast or bastet bastet yeah Mm -hmm. and also sekhmet yes are both in egypt yeah um in greece we have artemis and ekati in norse mythology we have freya in hinduism we have durga Mm -hmm. so all of these cats are goddesses who have some sort of links to cats Mm -hmm. and they also often have links to either like magic or seduction or fertility yeah femininity like, as we said before in our Cabin Fever episode, actually, where we talked about Hikari, she is a goddess of, like, magic and witchcraft. And she has a lot of cat familiars. That's from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, you wanted to talk a little bit about Bastet from Egyptian mythology. Right. Bastet. And what's the other one? Sekhmet. Sekhmet. So I did, I looked into this just a little bit, and I found it really interesting, again, the differentiation between a domestic cat yeah. and a big cat, yeah. right? So, like, Bastet is the domestic. The domesticated cat, you know, kind of um, representing, you know, she domestication. Repre- yeah, she represents yeah. a lot of, like, fertility yes. and love, and actually to connect that with the norse mythology figure of freya mm-hmm. she's also a goddess of love and fertility she's her chariot is driven by cats oh wow i would also like to point out that we are recording this on a friday which is the oh, yeah, day Thursday. of the week named after her yeah. that's cool yeah so bestad is a similar vein to that yeah meanwhile sekhmet yes she is the kind of wild untamed mm-hmm. yeah untamable cat and a little she bit has like a lion a little bit more of a protector she's very much a protector yes. very first she's specifically women giving childbirth oh 
cool for women in childbirth. I know she's like, a big she, deal, yeah. like warrior. Yeah, and like she was one of the most common goddesses to like show up in a lot of Egyptian art and stuff because yeah. she's this big deal protector in general and warrior. Yeah, um, similar to Durga and Hinduism. Okay, like these are both gods who are also perhaps like mothers and goddesses, yeah. and, you know, in that way and stuff. But they're like these really fierce protectors. Yeah. with these cat associations, Durga, her association in Hinduism, she actually has a tiger that she rides into battle. Yes, she does. Yeah. Going back to the like Christian mm-hmm. understanding. So we have these kind of mm-hmm. good understandings with Panthers and stuff. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. But there are also Christian like medieval mm. beliefs mm-hmm. that link cats to Lilith. Oh, okay. Because um, like cats, Adam's first wife right. refused to be tamed. That's true. Yeah. And that's sort of how cats are seen. They're sort of seen as consorting with the devil. Yeah. And like... You can sort of pretend that you've got them tamed, but you never really have a cat mm-hmm. tamed. It's always just a little bit wild. Yeah. It's always just kind of doing what it wants to do. Yeah. And so now even in modern day, sort of like modern Wiccans often associate cats with like the divine feminine. And it's sort of because they stand between the familiar and the wild mm-hmm. in that way that domestic cats do, where yeah. they are these kind of really wild creatures yeah. that you kind of have domesticated, but they're always just a little bit still untamable. Yeah, they're le- they're predators and prey. Yeah. Wow. And then they also have these ideas about how they thrive in moonlight and uh, by yeah. intuition. The nighttime. Cats are nocturnal. Yeah. This is true. And yeah. then the idea of like panthers and like other black cats, including like domestic small black cats right in particular being representative of like the darker earthier mysterious energy that also is like kind of a part of the feminine archetype Mm -hmm. in a lot of like wiccan Mm -hmm. understandings Mm -hmm. you know so that's all of the stuff we're working with when it comes to understanding the cats right but let's talk about what would actually be going on with Serbian folklore. Right. Because you said a lot of wolves. Yeah. Makes sense to me, honestly. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, I found it interesting because, yeah, the story is sort of focused on cat people, which mm-hmm. from what I could see in my reading, doesn't really read as like a Serbian folklore or anything like that. Um, also, this is kind of an aside, but I also wondered kind of as I was watching the movie, if maybe Irena had parts of the myth wrong. Like, not beyond just maybe it wasn't cats. Maybe it was, like, wolves or something. Right. But also, like... Or maybe the myth evolved. Yeah, or that yeah. it evolved. Yeah, not that she, like, got it wrong. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that it's, like, changed a lot. Yeah. Because, like, supposedly you turn into a panther because of, like, you know, that desire, that kissing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, when we see her first do it, it's when she's stalking Alice, which mm-hmm. is where that, like, gay desire stuff yeah, comes in. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. there's no actual, like, kissing that happens there. Yeah. And, like, the only time she does kiss and then kill someone is the psychiatrist. Yes. But she doesn't love him. And that's supposed to be part of the And also, like, he kisses her, but, like, we see her not kiss him back. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So then I was like, is there something maybe from that? Like, these other cat women were maybe appearing not out of, like, this overpowering lust or love. But, like, rage. Yeah. And having their boundaries Passion, man. Over. Passion can be like, anything. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, like, maybe that they were defending themselves. Yeah. And, like, were the women in her village actually turned into the villains because, you know, stories are written by the victors. Right. And it was actually that they said no to these men's de- desires. Yeah. And so were slain and then turned into these, like, cat people horrible by the victors retelling the story. Like, I'm sort of connecting King John's sword through the panther to the psychiatrist's sword through her. Right. As this, like, rejection of this guy. And so the guy stabs her. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's not because she was evil. It's because she didn't want you, motherfucker. Yeah. And she makes it very clear, right? So, like, I think about, at least with my cat, you know, and, like, 
and other cats and like domesticated cats, right? Like um, if they don't like something or don't want something, they make it very clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's usually They're really good with consent. Yeah. You need, and like, you need to understand like how cats communicate. Yeah. But like, once you understand how cats communicate, you can be like, okay, my cat's not into that, this. Right. And like, it. and you know, and then uh, some people are just like, oh my gosh, your cat just like attacked me. Like, you know, like it was so unprovoked. And I was like, well, if you understood. Yeah. It was the signs very it was provoked. giving you that it didn't want you to do what you yeah. were doing. Yeah. Then you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of was going, looking, re-looking at the story in that way. And I was also thinking about how often in a lot of mythologies and folklores, it's easy to see like whenever, um, often when you see like a man acting against some sort of beast or. Right figure or something like that that often it's actually also a story that's happening at the same time of like war or conquest mm. so then i was wondering about like is there some sort of conquest actually going on in this story you know it's like different when it's like a god figure who's you know taking down a woman or a beast or something right, where right, it's often right. like okay maybe a natural disaster or a plague or something yeah. but like when it's a man with a sword named king you know a, fa- I'm like, a phallic symbol i'm like that's yeah. kind of conquesty yeah so i went into the serbian folklore sort of looking for that stuff yeah and was pleased to find uh-huh. that um there is a long history of like serbian epic poetry and folklore oh. and stuff oh um a lot of it covering the era of the ottoman empire's I occupation yeah and like while there are some non-historical poems kind of like about slavic mythology and stuff yes. like a lot of them are historical events not super accurate, but historical events dealing with like occupation and like resistance. And so like yeah. it started to make a lot of sense. Cause like as you were talking about, Serbia is on that border between yeah. kind of like the East and the West and has these overlapping influences. I saw one talking about how Serbian folklore really blossomed when old pagan beliefs started to mix with like new Christian beliefs. Hmm. So like it really all is coming out of this like mixing of these these clashing of cultures. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, various different figures who come up, like, a lot. One of the big ones that I found was this guy named Prince Marco. Reading about him had the same sort of feel of reading about, like, medieval romance things about, like, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Okay. Like, he has very that feel. And in this case, he's, like, actually a historical figure. Like, he's a real guy that existed during the occupation of the Ottoman Empire. Like... But then suddenly in the stories, he's this guy who lived for, like, 300 years. Whoa. He was breastfed by a forest nymph and got superpowers. <laughs> like, And he sort of, like, becomes this representation of, like, the spirit of Serbia under the Ottoman Empire. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's kind of what a lot of Serbian stories are about. Um, I also wanted to look into, like, specific instances of shape-shifting. Because I was sure. like, okay, if we don't have cats specifically, yeah. what do we have? Yeah wolves <laughs> yeah okay. though i didn't see a lot of shape-shifting with them huh, okay so, except for when it comes to vampires of like course. i said they have their own right and vampires are known for turning into animals mm-hmm. i saw in serbian myths like wolves horses and sheep i was like that's cute little vampire sheep not bats no okay i didn't see it okay this was fun i found that jackals are sometimes considered half human because they wail like human infants Oh. And I was like, that sounds exactly what Irena said mm-hmm. about how, like, the roaring of lions is natural and soothing, but she hates the sound of the panther because yeah. it screams like a woman. Yeah. If she had that sort of myth growing up about the jackals yeah. maybe being half human because of the way they wail and then moving here and here in the panther, it makes sense that she would maybe cling to the panther or something. Heck yeah. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting, important, you might know about this, actually. Have you heard of Vila's? Vilas? Yeah. No. Vila. 
the only reason why I thought you might have is because uh, J.K. Rowling sort of vaguely appropriates them in one of her books. And she's one of the Triwizard Tournament. No, not Triwizard. Fleur. Fleur de la Cour. Fleur de la Cour. What she's, about her? She's a quarter villa. And what what are they? What do they do? Uh, the way it sounds like in J.K. Rowling's book is that she's sort of like a siren. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're a little more complicated than that. Yeah. As things often are after J.K. Rowling takes them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Vilas are like nature nymphs. When I talked about Prince Marco being breastfed by like a yes, nymph. Yes. A little It was a vila. Oh, okay. They're kind of like fairies, elves, that sort just, of thing. Just fae. Fae. Yeah, yeah. That sort of. So they can, they're often beautiful maidens, but they can also be like whirlwinds, which is cool. Mm. And also they shapeshift into animals. Okay. Usually swans, falcons, horses, and wolves. Okay. Because those are the like actually prominent animals yeah. in the area. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if cats were around, they would have been doing that too. Yep. Totally. Yep. Um, and it's like they're mostly benevolent to humans, if a little bit weird. But like if you are, do something, if you like break an agreement with them or you offend them in some way then they can turn really malicious say yeah yeah they have that vibe yeah Yeah. um and actually they do have kind of a siren vibe because supposedly like they're dancing and their beautiful voices can Mm -hmm. lure men in Mm -hmm. possibly crash their their ships on craggy rocks yeah 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 yeah. there are also to keep in line with Faye, some stories about them stealing stealing children and leaving changelings behind uh of course yes yeah and then there are like different myths about like where vila come from Right. So there's some about how a lot of them start with a normal girl who yeah. was like maybe cursed in some way. Uh-huh. So like she died unbaptized. Sure. Okay. Or um, she just had a really frivolous life or okay. she was really proud sure. or she was like betrayed by a lover and just wanted to revenge too much. And for all these reasons, she gets like cursed by God to become this sort of semi-immortal being, huh. which I'm like, cool, sign me up. Yeah. But then in some versions, this curse also has, <laughs> I found this out on a YouTube channel called Chekhov's Pistol. That's <laughs> some like good mythology on it. Oh, that's cool. So um, he was talking about some versions of the story where the curse involves never being able to find your beloved. Mm. Or if you do find him, your beloved will suffer a horrible death. Wow. Isn't that literally what Irina is afraid of? Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The one other thing I want to take from Serbian mythology and folklore yeah is that in some folk tales there is the appearance of the um black arab oh no (laughs) this is real i would not bring it up if it was not relevant i don't know why i was so surprised by that yeah you duh yeah yeah yeah. but it's like okay so sometimes it's like a bandit are we talking about the mama looks we're gonna get okay okay i'm sorry yeah oh we're getting there oh warming up let me just let me just (laughs) get settled yeah okay so sometimes it's just sort of like a bandit who's kidnapping women but also sometimes this black arab is like literally a devil (laughs) and there are stories where that same prince marco fights the black arab so can i just like let me just take a wild guess yes please do black arab literally dark-skinned yeah and i imagine a follower of Islam. Yup. Oh, yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> yup. Oh, boy. And then Oof. bringing that to the Mamelukes. Okay. What yes. I could find is that. I'm actually, I, I, I again, like, I, I did a little bit of research yeah. in this, but, like, it was really a skim. So, like, I'm really interested to learn about this. This. Yeah. Is it an ethnic group? What? No. Okay. 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 So. Just tell me. Mamelukes, I'm assuming the way she says it is kind of weird. Yeah. But Mameluk Mameluk. Yeah, okay. is a non-Arab, ethic, ethnically diverse soldier slave and freed slave group who served in the military for the Ottoman Empire and like okay. other Arab dynasties. So they're like 
according to Wikipedia. They're like a soldier class, a warrior yeah. class. Yes, but and, they're often, okay. but they're often slaves or freed slaves. Or freed slaves. Okay. And they were rec- recruited from many parts of the empire yes and other places that the ottoman empire and other arab dynasties you know interacted with so like through the middle east but also eastern europe yeah so that like could have included serbians i did not see anything in my i would not be surprised in in my quick research of anything of like mamluks having any like particular history there Uh uh-huh there are a lot of places like including in egypt where mamluks as these like soldier as the soldier class um actually were able to gain a lot of political power like, they even had, like, their own dynasty in Egypt. So, mm-hmm. like, so it seems, I don't know. I just felt like from that, even though I couldn't find anything, like, specifically about Mamluks in Serbia, it seems possible that maybe that's just some sort of shorthand for, like, Arab or Muslim or something like that. Yeah. Basically, Ottoman Empire yeah. in contrast to the Christian Serbs. Yeah. So, I think that's what she means when she was like, in my village, you know, these scary Mamluks yeah. us, took us away from Christianity. Yeah. But it's interesting because, like, the Mamluks themselves, they weren't necessarily Muslim because a lot of them still held to their religions from where they came from. Right, yeah. And things like that. So, like, it's a weird shorthand to use for that. Yeah. But it's the only thing I can think of. It's so unfortunate because, like, Irena specifically understands what it means to, like, be out of place where she is and, like, understands what it's like to be othered and, like, Mm -hmm. and to be, like, distilled down to, like, an essence rather mm-hmm. than like her Evolving. entire humanity. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So wow. that's sort of what I'm thinking with the mom looks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the best I've got. So, cause, but no, no. So these mama looks, they were enslaved. Some of them, or they started out as slaves started out and enslaved. then were freed later or. And now it doesn't Irena say something about like enslaving the people of her village. Or yeah. Making, okay. Yeah. Kind so of. she talks about that. Our s- enslaved people enslaving people well I, that's why i don't think because that's the other thing is that i don't think that mamluks had a particular presence in serbia oh okay okay yeah, yeah. like there were other sort of soldiers and stuff that would have been there that would have been ottoman so i'm wondering if that's just sort of like basically i'm wondering if that's a flaw of the writers being like okay what's like a weird vague way we can talk about the ottoman empire or like yeah. muslims or arabs oh here's a good one that like was doesn't really work for the serbian area I could be wrong, though, just right. for my... So I think it's, like, a shorthand that the writers are using yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. really fit with Irena and her yeah. history, but we're dealing with it. Huh. So I'm just sort of replacing it with the Ottoman Empire. And like yeah, yeah. Versus and again, King like John, who's our, like, Christian... An group. empire that's around for literally 600 years, yeah. right? And is honestly on, on its last leg Yeah. by the time... Irena comes around. Yeah. By the time she's born, like it's almost World War One. Yeah. The Ottoman Empire has lost significant amount of land, yeah. significant amount of influence and power. Um, but obviously that doesn't change hundreds of years of history, right? Of, you know. And well, that's why I was wondering about um, cats. Yeah. In the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Because I'm wondering then if I think of the Mamluks mm-hmm. as maybe just being shorthand for like Arab or Muslim or something mm-hmm. like that, could that cat be representing perhaps like some sort of Herald, heraldic image for like some sort of Muslim ruler leader. Now help help me out. What does that word mean? Herald, heraldic, like something they would use on their flags when they went into battle. Oh, like a herald. Yeah, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that like possibly this statue of uh-huh. this king putting his sword through a cat is right. actually being like here's this Christian sir putting a sword through. Yeah. Some sort of and, and Muslim Ir- ruler. Irina even mentions it. She's like, oh, it's not actually a cat. It's a symbol yeah. for evil and sin. Yeah. You know, and like, she gets it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then that means the only thing we have left 
is who the fuck King John the First of Serbia is. Yeah, who's King John the First? Okay. That sounds like an anglicized name if I've ever heard one. Okay. Remember when I said that I was going to have to rely on Wikipedia a bit myself too? Yep. Um, I had a really hard time finding English sources. Hmm. And a lot of the English sources I did find were just copy-pasted straight from Wikipedia. Oh. So take all of this with a grain of salt. Yeah. But King John, King John is mm-hmm. possibly Jovan Nanad. I think yes. I think you're right. Yes, you saw this too? Yes. Um, Jovan is a Serbian form of John. Yes. Um, there are like two or three other prominent Jovans in Serbian history that I found. Um, but like Jovan Ninad is the only one who was like a king or the mm-hmm. equivalent of. He like called himself a czar or an emperor. Because he would. Yeah, yeah that would have yeah. been. But like, yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And anyway, even if it's not him, all of the Jovans I found were in some way fighting for like Serbian liberation from Ottoman rulers. Wow. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Jovan Nenad, he actually only reigned from like 1526 to 1527. He had like a two-year reign. Oh, okay. And it wasn't exactly acknowledged by literally anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually this like military leader, ruler. He had like some Serbian mercenaries that he led. And he sort of took advantage of the Ottoman Empire fighting against the Hungarian king. And while all that was going on, he was like, what if I just took a little place for myself right here in the uh, Pannonian Plain? Okay. Is where he took, and he was like, this is just going to be my land now. Yeah. I'm in charge of it. Yeah. yeah. I've got my force of Serbian mercenaries who yeah. are going to protect it. So what you going to do about it? Yeah. And for two years, not a lot. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He like spent some time because, yeah, as you showed me on that map. Yes. Like Serbia is sort of stuck in between Austria-Hungary. Yep. And the, the Ottoman, Ottoman Empire. Empire. Yep. And so he just sort of took his little spot. Yep. Um, and but had to like spend a lot of time. There were like two different Hungarian kings who were like, "I'm the king." No, I'm the king. Yes. So oh like, yeah. Uh, Austria-Hungary had a dual monarchy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he was like kind of <laughs> sided with one. So then he was like, you know, doing some raiding against some like different Hungarian villages to help out that king. But mm-hmm. like, whatever. His big deal thing that he always said he was all about was liberating Serbian lands from the Ottoman Empire. Uh-huh. And he had a number of victories. Eventually, he was actually defeated by one of the Hungarian kings. And, like, Mm. he was killed while he was trying to connect with some of his allies, you know? But, like, since then, he's become this kind of mythical hero, supposedly. Of the the Serbs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some people consider him the founder of the autonomous province of Vojvodina. Okay. Which I guess is still a place that exists. I love that. I was hoping you knew something about it. Uh, sorry, I don't. Let uh-huh. me refer back to my map, though. <laughs> you want to go ahead and say that word again? Yeah, it's Vojvodina. Vojvodina, it's right there. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's borders uh, Hungary and Romania. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. So supposedly he was like the first so guy. So kind of the, was like, the northern part of Serbia. Yeah. yeah. Got it. He was like, we're going to be free, liberated, all on our own, do our own thing. Autonomous province. I guess there's some debate about whether it makes sense that he actually did that. But still, in one of their big major cities, they have a big statue of him. Huh. And it has on it, your thought has prevailed. It's like carved on the statue. Oh. As in like, you did liberate Serbia. Yes. We have our autonomous place. Yeah. Yeah. Supposedly. Like I said, this all comes from Wikipedia, so I don't know. But so, yeah. So I feel like, A... This myth that Irena tells sounds very much like the sort of myth that would have been told about, like, a Prince Marco figure who's fighting against, like, monsters and has these sort of mythical aspects and also is maybe fighting against 
black Arabs. And, oh. Yeah. But also has that sort of mixture of the historical, which would come up a lot in their epic poetry, where it has yeah. this actual King John figure. And there would be, like, the again, like, the idea of shape-shifting and, like, yeah. a man having animal characteristics as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the ideas of these, like, Vila, who are, like, mm-hmm. these nymphs who can be beautiful women mm-hmm. and lure men and also so yeah i mean i don't know how much work the you know they actually put into it when they were making the movie but i feel like it does kind of fit with the exception of the fact that uh cats <laughs> the cat thing yeah. uh, unless it is sort of like for the ottoman empire a symbol of mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. the only way i can really make it work because it's not a super serbian yeah. image so wow. that's serbian folklore wow i love that now we know so much about Serbia. I know. I can't. I'm on a go to Serbia now. I know. <laughs> I know everything about I know you. Everything I've read about Wikipedia. Serbia. <laughs> um, are we ready to bring it back to the U.S. of A.? Yeah. Let's. So this movie uh, was produced in 1942, um, and so the Hayes Code, which is a kind of quick set of rules of things that should never happen in a Hollywood film. Um, or should only happen under very specific circumstances, mm-hmm. right? Kind of as a way to, you know, uh, censor and impose a certain specific idea of morality mm-hmm. in American film media. And this is the only movie we've watched thus far, at least, that would have been... This is the oldest film we've watched yeah. so far, yeah. So this was in middle of the Hays Code. Yeah, very much informed by that, yes. Yeah, which is how we can have a movie that is very much sort of, like, preoccupied with, like, sex and sexuality but also very, like, I don't know, tame by modern standards. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it actually starts in, like, the late 20s. Um, this Catholic priest, his name is Daniel A. Lord, uh, started writing production code for Hollywood films because he, he understood, and I actually, I, I think this person was, was very smart, he understood how powerful of a medium film was, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, heck yeah, it is, you know? I almost kind of wish people were kind of taking social media more seriously in this way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, he knew that film was a really powerful media, or uh, medium, you know, and uh, <laughs> was powerful for the corruption of morals, especially mm-hmm. for kids, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this poses a threat to the church, right? Yep. Uh, in the height of the Depression, Hollywood, obviously the studios, like, they're, it's harder for them to make money because less people have less money to yep. go spend, at a, to go see a movie, right? So they started to create movies uh, that appealed to a, quote, morbid curiosity, so we're talking sexual scenes, right? <laughs> uh, glamorization of gangsters and organized crime. Yeah. Um, and a uh, quote-unquote reflection of class struggle. Oh, no. All big no-nos. Yeah, not the, the class church. struggle. So, Don't remind people they're poor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is really interesting because uh, Hollywood was under like a lot of pressure from governments because for a while movies did not count as speech. They weren't protected as speech. Right. Um, And you know, the government is also kind of concerned about like, okay, what are you putting in these films that are like very highly accessible to the population at large? Right. So Hollywood goes for in favor of internal regulation as opposed to a government regulation. Right. Because you know, the, the laws are different between, states so like you know uh the kind of things that could be shown in a film in texas are not going to be the same thing that you could get in you know in in massachusetts right Mm -hmm. so they're like you know what we'll internally regulate we'll create 
what would become the Hays Code, right? Yeah. Um, and so it is broken up. It's it's quite straightforward. It's literally a, a list of 11 don'ts mm-hmm. and 25 be careful. Be careful. So obviously all of these help communicate to an audience what is moral, right? And, and therefore good. Also, the censorship helps keep social control. Anything immoral, anything on that uh, be careful list, right, needs to be punished or like made to repent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you can imagine, pretty quickly, writers, directors, producers get really tired of this like moral grandstanding. So Hayes Code is technically in place until 1968, although certainly by 59, like everybody's just ignoring it. Yeah. Nobody's following code, right? So, but the Hayes Code is technically in place until 1968 and it gets replaced with the MPAA right. uh, or now called the MPA. Um, so the MPA, are you aware of how bullshit the MPA is? I am. It's total bullshit. So it's kind of like the second stage of the Hayes Code because it's, it's very common for movies that have like a queer sex scene to have a much more yep. restrictive rating yep. than a movie with a similar sex scene between heterosexuals. Heterosexuals, right. Um, So the MPAA, I mean, it's not much better, but like at least now, like there are more like artistic freedoms for Mm. writers, directors, producers to like kind of do whatever they want with their movie, just keeping in mind the rating it's going to get. So that's basically like the the legacy of the Hays Code now, right? Yeah. So it's important to remember that Cat People is made during the Hays Code era. And so uh, there's a lot they can't do. What this means to me is like basically any other can kind of put themselves into this narrative and connect with Irena, right? So like immigrants, Mm -hmm. women, uh, queer people, people of color, people who maybe aren't Christian, Mm -hmm. right? Like any other who can't explicitly be talked about due to Hayes Code don'ts and be careful. It kind of, you know, the cat people is sort of just like a catch-all. Yeah. A nice, safe, code-appropriate way Mm -hmm. of being like, and then there's everybody else. Yeah, I think Irena has some, you know, some particular lines that we can pull out that sort of really speak to that, where Mm -hmm. she has, um, you know, her and Oliver say that they love each other for the first time. She's talking about how she still doesn't want to kiss him. Yeah. And she says, I've lived in dread of this moment. I never wanted to love with you. I stayed away from people, lived alone. I fled from the past, from things you can never know or understand, evil things. It's very much this feeling of being some sort of outsider, whatever type of outsider it is. Yep. And knowing that the, you know, the normal people (laughs) will (laughs) never be able to understand you and will see you as something evil and therefore wanting to just sort of keep yourself away from it all. Yeah. As like a safety thing, but also as like this sort of like self-hating thing, self-loathing thing. And and like, and, you know, knowing that again, like that you cannot fit into the box. Yeah. So, like, why try? And I think it's you know? really interesting in contrast to Alice, who I mm. think Alice is very, um, like, good girl vibes. Very. Did you also notice, this is something that I noticed not until later after we watched it, but, like, in the stalking scene, right, where we don't see Irena because she yeah. is the panther, right? But, like, we see the shadows, uh, the shadows and all that stuff. And obvi- uh, so also Alice, like, one of the, the main characters we haven't talked about much yet, um, Hat game on point, right? <laughs> like 10 yeah. out of 10, 40s every movies, hat. 40s movies. Every hat, just, yeah. yes. Um, And the hat that she is wearing, and I would actually like to go back and watch this movie and kind of look at her hats a little bit more, like, you know, 
analytically. Um, but in that, that, you know, quote unquote stocking scene, she is wearing a hat with feathers on it. Oh, like so, a bird. Like she's a bird. Yeah. And, and Irena is like stalking yes. her as kind of like a plaything, you know, and like lets her go. Well, only because, uh, you know, the, the bus comes yeah. and like she scurries Which away. Which supposedly yeah. is like the first jump scare, that bus coming. Yes, right, when she's being and stalked. especially to use sound for yeah. the jump scare as opposed to the visual. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. started calling it like the Luton bus, and they would like use it in all of his movies to have like a jump scare of some sort, huh. and they would call it the bus because they were doing a lot of cool new shit. Yeah, yeah, we're like kind of on the verge of noir, and yeah. you know, there. This is like Cat People is kind of meant to be in direct competition with like the Universal monster movies. Yeah, so, and something yeah. sort of like smarter and sleeker and yeah. suspenseful, but not like scary in that same way. Yeah. But back to Alice being yes. a good girl. She's just so interesting. because she, There's that part where Oliver is like, Alice, you're very swell. Yeah. And she's like, that's what makes me dangerous. I'm the new type of other woman. Mm. With this idea of like, the thing that, you know, the American man is actually going to go for is the like morally upright woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the woman who's like, you know. Who wears great hats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, it's like to compare her vision of love to Irena's who's like so afraid of it and so he you know doesn't want a part of it she says she knows exactly what love is she says it's understanding it's you and me and let the rest of the world go by it's just the two of us living our lives together happily and proudly no self-torture and no doubt Hmm. and i really love that especially when we think of like really any of those sort of others i'm sort of thinking of it from a gay perspective sure of having that thing that dread that moment of dread when you're in a society where the sort of love that you feel is like criminalized Mm -hmm. of not wanting to get there and then to have as its opposite, the sort of like the gay dream of being able to live together happily and proudly Mm -hmm. and not afraid of it, of of something that like, you know, any of these sort of othered groups would long for. And not have to pretend that like your roommates. Yeah. Yeah. They're also still, we haven't actually really talked about the gay shit. No, I like to always, I, mean, I always like to save the gay shit for last. Well, then let's get into it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we were talking about how, you know, this kind of allegory of the other could mean so many things. Yeah. Right. Um, and like, to me, what really hits at home is like the immigrant experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's totally ways that in which like especially you know um like a queer person could see themselves yeah and their queerness reflected in the character of Irina right you know um and you know what honestly that made me think of was X-Men oh oh, Uh, I see what you mean because I think X-Men is traditionally meant to be an allegory for Jews uh Mm. X-Men were I think about Magneto well, yeah, he's explicitly is yeah, Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's I text, mean... text, not subtext. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I think in general, X-Men, part of the, the I guess, joy, the use of the X-Men, uh-huh. is that they always have been used as a symbol of, like, oppression and othering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could sort of be blanketed over everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. In yep. that same way. You know, we have, like, you know, for the longest time, Bobby Drake being, like, gay-coded, but not being able to come out until very recently. That's Iceman. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know? But then we also have, like, Magneto, who's actually Jewish, and yes. is coming at, you know, his idea of, like, being a mutant oppressed by humans yeah. is very much informed by the fact that he lived through the Holocaust yeah. and almost yeah. died. You know? And then we have, like... A lot of other, you know, queer coded characters, mm-hmm. but then we also have characters of color. The X Men have a lot more characters of color in like early 
comics than mm. a lot of the other teams have. Mm. Like they have a lot of Native American characters who you Ooh. like hardly see in any other superhero teams. Yeah, oh my teams, gosh, yeah. That's you know, and they cool. have like tons. That's cool, you know? Yeah, because I, I actually remember when we were in college, it was senior year, we were in Springs House, and we were watching an X-Men movie. And our roommate was like kind of half watching, you know, like doing other stuff and kind of watching. And like, I don't think she had a lot of X-Men knowledge, like no judgment, neither do I, you know, like it's okay. (laughs) Um, And she was like, oh, so it's like gay people. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. But also no. And. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, there's that famous part. It became a whole meme where um, Rogue. Who mm-hmm. is the X Men who um, sucks the life force yes. out of people? Force out of people when Takes she touches the powers them. of someone else, yeah. yeah, and like causes a lot of damage to anybody she wants to be close to and like can't touch people. Yeah, she finds out that there's a possible cure for yeah. mutants for being a mutant, and she's like, "There's a cure." And then Storm, the woman who can control weather and is considered a literal goddess, yes, yes. it's like there is no cure because there's nothing wrong with us. Right. And it's like, that's easy for you, you to, to say. say. Yeah. So like in that sense, it doesn't really work as like a metaphor for like any sort of oppressed group that much because so many of them have so many different needs, right. which is why it can be kind of a casual. You can look at some of them and be like, oh, this being's gay. Yeah. Oh, this being's, you know, Jewish. This uh-huh. being's in this sort of different way. Uh-huh. But like to look at them as a whole, it's like, oh, the only thing I saw that was kind of working was like to look at it as like a disability allegory, mm-hmm. you know? And how possibly, some people can still pass. Yeah, possibly right. as a race allegory because you have yeah. a lot of different, like if you try to single it as like, you know, the black experience or right. something, it's not going to work. But like there's a lot of different races there's well, a lot of different disabilities who all have different needs yeah. and different oppressions and, I mean, and different you know all sorts of things and i'm still thinking of x-men and we will get back to cat people yeah. but i, I think it's, all, it's yeah. i think it's relevant like I, I think about yeah because like each mutant in x-men is like has a different power right mm-hmm. that has different pros and cons to it and it kind of makes me think about like all the different ways someone can be queer yeah right so like there are easier ways to be queer like being a cisgendered gay man Mm -hmm. is a way different experience than being like a trans woman of color. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and being like a bi person who is quote unquote passing yeah. because they're in a straight relationship yeah, yeah. has its own downsides, obviously, by being, you know, made invisible in your own community. Right. But also means that you have an easier time perhaps being able to go through life. Yeah. Being <laughs> yeah. able to access a lot of resources. Yes. Like yeah. marriage. I mean, that's changed since then, you know. Right. But. Yeah. Uh, insurance. Yeah. Housing. Yeah. <laughs> employment. Adoption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of it. Yeah. Um, so this is also, so like cat people is like renowned as like really queer coded movie. Yeah. In the Hayes Code era. Yeah. And so like, let's just talk about how specifically, like where's, Okay, queerness here. Well, there are the parts I already talked about about right. like the way they talk about love. Yes, yes. Um, there's, I mean, a little bit I think with Ollie, with Oliver, with his insistent that's like, uh, you're so normal, you're gonna marry me, and how he's like thinks that like heterosexism is gonna save her, that he's gonna like cure her with right his straight manness. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know. There's oh the line we talked about earlier with her talking about how she envies all of the other women on yes. the street. Yes. Oh my gosh. Because yes. they make their husbands happy and they're free. Yeah. Right. Whew. Yeah. Irina's general sort of like, I love silence. I love loneliness. Yeah. I love the dark. Love the darkness. Yeah. And kind of um, considering like, and again, like, you know, I still think that the panther represents sexuality overall. Yeah. And sort of like the keeping sexuality in the darkness, especially non-heterosexual sexuality as like, yeah, keeping it in the darkness, keeping it in the shadows, keeping it kind of out of sight yeah. for the general 
public, yeah. right? Yeah. And then that makes people feel alone. Like mm-hmm. they're the only ones who feel that way, right? Yeah. Like so Irina is kind of like projecting all of these other women are happy. Right. Because she's they're happy, they make their husbands happy. It's like, Irina, you don't know that. Yeah. You know, like you feel You've already established you don't have friends, so <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you might think that because that's like the facade they're putting mm-hmm. on, but like that's not what life is like. Yeah. You know? And then we have, of course, the gayness, I guess, of um like I talked about how supposedly the myth of her turning into a cat mm-hmm. is when she falls in love. The first time she actually really does turn into a cat. The two times we see her turn into a cat mm-hmm. is to go after, of course, Alice. To go after Alice, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I have little things that kind of pinged my gaydor. Sure. In line with that general stalking of Alice, there's Irena calling Alice just to hear her say hello and then like <laughs> and then hang up. up. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and she's looking for Oliver at the time, but still, it's like, and then <laughs> like also Alice like gets it. Yeah. Like, she picks up on it. She's like, I think it's Irina. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. You know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I do think, also, in general, Alice just sort of felt a little dikey to me. I don't know. Just because she's, like, hmm. she's working with the boys. She's, like, the right. one who's like, let's take a cigarette break. Break, I'll smoke yeah. my cigarette. And he's not even smoking, but she is. Yeah. And she has this whole thing about, like, oh, I don't need to be walked home because I'm a big girl and I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. You know? She's just, like, I don't know. Got some yeah. big energy. What is her job? Because, like, she's obviously not, like, a secretary. Yeah, no, I think she's just, just one of the engineers. Do you think she's an engineer? Something like it. Okay. I, she's probably, um, honestly, she's probably a computer. Yeah, probably. Because, like, what, because, and, and she's also the one who, because, like, when she's with Oliver to, like, try and, like, catch up with Irina in the apartment and she, like, doesn't show and she's just like, we got to get back to work, yeah. you know? And, like, the way it seems is, like, he's saying things and she's writing them down. Yeah. So, like, yeah, maybe more like a computer yeah, or something. Yeah, I think she's yeah. probably calculating numbers. Um, for their stuff yeah also i guess probably the biggest lesbian moment in the movie is um literally just the way that irena smirks at alice after she scares her in the pool the way she's sort of like, right, like the, yeah. she's just smirking at her yeah like okay mm-hmm. that part that was part was oh, pretty lesbian also you know what really like pinged my gaydar is is the other serbian woman in the restaurant oh yeah saying yeah. moya sestra my yeah. sister right and so obviously like you could say that as like oh they're both serbian yeah they're sisters in that way yeah. or like the way that you clock each other lesbians can yeah or you know see each other's like uh it's my sister friend you know like what what do they call, call them family family yeah. yeah uh friend of dorothy yeah. you know yeah kind of thing yeah like, that whole idea yeah there's a um, sister that's a, another member of the sewing circle yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We also have that Alice loves cats that we mentioned before. Oh, and, like, yeah. She loves cats. Irena is a cat. So, like, I don't know. There's a cat for you right there. Yeah. She know, she recognizes Irena's perfume. She's, she she's like, it's her perfume. It's strong and sweet. Yeah. Like, okay, Katie. Okay. I see you. And it's so interesting because, like, Oliver is there and, like, and Alice is, like, the other woman who, like, is in love with Oliver, you know? But it's like, but, like, what if Oliver wasn't there? Yeah, what if Oliver wasn't there? <laughs> and then... What I, what sort of got, because I was kind of with you where I was like, yeah, I get the gay subtext, but it's not like standing out to me as much as like some other things. Yeah. I don't get why this is like the, something that's brought up as like an early lesbian text or whatever. Yeah, right. early. Um, there was an article on Autostraddle by uh, Drew Gregory about cat people and then also the seventh victim, which is another, another, yeah. Alan feature. Yeah. Um, talking about, you know, D. Whit Bodine is the writer who's gay. He was gay. Like, that's fact. Fact. But this article, Drew Gregory, yeah, she's talking about DeWitt Bodine mm-hmm. and sort of imagining him writing the script through the perspective of sort of articulating 
his gay desires. And mm. so then it's like, what happens when we imagine Irina as like a gay man? Mm. And then it's her struggle for her uh, with her desire for Ollie. Mm. It's her fear of like consummating that contrasted with like, you know, the ease that he has in his relationship with Alice. Right. You know, she gets to have that really simple love with Oliver. Whereas Oliver having this relationship with Irina, if it was like more of a gay man, gay love sort of thing, that being the first time he's unhappy because that's the first time he's had to like, that's the first time love hasn't been easy. Yeah. And it's like, because that's the love that society isn't allowing. Uh And so Oliver is just wanting, Oliver is the one who wants to actually revert to that like safe confines of like heterosexuality the ease of going out with a woman like alice because maybe oliver get like given that reading of it is more bisexual and could again thinking about like a person in two parts yeah right be like okay like i'm interested in this aspect of myself but society tells me i can't yeah nothing about this will be easy so i guess i can forget that part of myself yeah and just focus on the part that will make my life easier yeah so i don't know yeah. that just sort of made the film work more for me as like subtextually gay than anything else i had read mm, did yeah sure it, it didn't it wasn't like super subtextually like dykey yeah <laughs> um, i mean she is sort of like Irina. i mean is sort of like haunting alice as like perhaps a specter of lesbian or something but i don't know but yeah the idea of reading Irina is more just sort of like gayness in general and gay desire in general Uh and making it a little less literal about it and sort of like the difficulty of wanting to express that love the fear of wanting to express that love the safety and being alone when you feel only that kind of love you know right versus the ease of just you know being a straighty mcstraight Um, so I just find it really interesting that, so, okay, so, uh, what happens? Irena, uh, is, attacks Dr. Judd. Yeah. Kills him. Fuck yeah, you do, But she does get stabbed. Yeah, his sword does get in her. So, but she does make it back to the zoo, Mm -hmm. right? To, because she's got the key. Yeah. To unleash. Unleash the panther, right? Um, and it's interesting cause just like though I understand it's the forties, like it's whatever, but like the way that they film it is like the Panther just kind of jumps on her and yeah. she just falls down dead. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, I know you've been stabbed, but what? Yeah. What I a- think it was supposed to be kind of a mauling or. Yeah. It just kind of looked like a pounce and yeah. then off into the street. And then we we see the panther gets out of the cage and that is immediately hit by a cap, right? It's just like, let's just uh, tie up this loose end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's it's interesting because like the that panther spends the entire movie caged oh. up in this tiny little cage, yeah. per, go, p- pacing back and forth, yeah. obviously stressed out, right? And then the minute that it is released from its cage, it dies right yeah. so like there is no freedom for this panther yeah and by extension Irena right yeah. um and I I asked myself like I, I wrote in my notes Irena releases the cat to release herself mm. and then in parentheses die <laughs> because like you know I think people could could see death as like a symbolic release yeah. right you know you could also and, see and sort of the ultimate freedom in yeah. some ways I was going to say in haste coat terms. Yes. Death is also used as like a form of repentance. Yes. Right. That the, this the, could also be her getting free in the sense of getting free of her sins. Yes. Repenting. And. Through death. Right. And like the, you know, if you're going to have a lesbian. Yeah. They're going to. They better die at the they'd end. They better die at the end. Yeah. Or repent and be not 
a lesbian, a lesbian anymore. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just thought that that, that I- imagery was really interesting. Yeah. You know, it's like there, that, that Panther is uh, like has freedom for like a couple of seconds yeah. and it gets hit by a cap. Right. Um, so like, it's kind of, it, it's honestly a pretty sad ending. Like there's oh, this kind of sad. air that like, there's no freedom. Yeah. Your freedom is, is death. Yeah, I think that's part of what kills me about Ollie's last line about like, oh, yeah, you know, she never lied to us. It's like, okay, (laughs) this is like this huge tragic thing. That's all you have to say. Like, yeah, like, don't you fully like, don't you understand what just happened? Yeah, Like, like that is a woman who was also a panther who has been stabbed by a psychiatrist you brought her in touch with. Yeah, like and was driven to do something pretty irrational. Yeah. And it's, like, super fucking tragic. But, yeah, okay, you and Alice are just going to get married. And And apparently that is, again, I haven't seen the sequel, but it's my understanding that is the sequel, is that Alice and Oliver get married. Mm -hmm. They have a child, a young girl, I believe. And I think uh, Simone Simone comes back as, like, kind of like a specter, like a ghost. She's, like, an imaginary friend, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, like, you know, uh uh-oh, you know, queerness invades safe straight spaces yeah. again you know and like oh no they're coming for the kid this time you know another thing i found interesting in that same auto straddle article i was reading because mm-hmm. um, it also was talking about the seventh victim that uh there's also a, another character who could be very you know lesbian coded but also that dr judd is in that movie he is yes yes <laughs> it's the dr judd cinematic universe it of re- all people <laughs> this has been Deep Thoughts, Shallow Plots. Join us next time for the first part of our Grindhouse double feature. We'll be discussing Planet Terror. And then the episode after that, we'll be talking about Death Proof. Yep, that's how double features work. Yep. Um, And hey, don't forget, because we've been forgetting, uh, we have an Instagram. Uh, It's at Deep Thoughts, Shallow Plots, all one word, lowercase. Um, And we got, you know, cool art and pictures of us, I think, and reminders of latest episodes and all sorts of good stuff. Um, in lieu of our normal ending, we have a special treat this time. <laughs> Sound guy Matt is going to play us out with a special little ditty. <laughs> Take it away, Matt. Can't people get no reason can't people get no reason can't people get no reason to live they got shuffle claws creepy eyes always going around stalking girls who ain't your wife they got little whiskers big old teeth leave you some perfume before the corner you to eat well I don't want no cat people. Don't want no cat people. Don't want no cat people around me. Meow, meow, meow. Uh, 